Welcome to Hackstack, the show that gives you all the tips, tricks and advice you need to increase your productivity, lower your stress level and find ultimate purpose in life. All done, one simple step at a time. And now, here is your host, Coz. Hello boys and girls and welcome to Hackstack, episode number 11. Well, Last time, I promised that I would try to maybe shorten up some of these episodes, and unfortunately, I cannot stick to that promise. The main reason for that is because I have a full audiobook for you to play on this episode, uh, and I think it's really beneficial. So this is basically uh, Productivity Hacks Episode Part 2. Again, it's not the most glamorous topic to talk about, but it's critical that you start to nail down these concepts because it will help with your efficiency, your speed, and it'll really drive uh, you toward accomplishing all the things that you want to accomplish in seemingly uh, little time. I mean, we all have 24 hours. We're all trying to cram as much as we can in that 24 hours, but uh, some of the concepts you'll hear today, uh, maybe it's not about cramming as much as you can, uh, as much as it is about maybe getting to the important things and being really efficient in some of those things. So we'll get into that here shortly, but I want to open up with um, an interesting story for you guys. And this is one of those stories that comes to me through a friend, through a friend kind of thing. Uh, It's not directly, uh, I was not there, uh, but (laughs) the story is is so good and it fits exactly into some of the things I want to talk about today. I I thought I'd share that with you. Uh, So I was having a conversation at work with a few coworkers of mine and they happened to get uh, a ticket to a fundraiser event for, I believe it was the Boys and Girls Club of Indiana. And the guest speaker was Brad Stevens. Now, Brad Stevens is currently the coach of the NBA basketball team, the Boston Celtics. And why that's relevant to this discussion? Well, it kind of it kind of hits close to home because he used to be the head coach of the NCAA college basketball team, uh, the Butler Bulldogs, uh, for those of you that don't happen to know who he is or follow college basketball. Um, it was a pretty big deal when he took his team, I believe it was 2010, he took them to the national championship game only to lose by two points. Uh, actually, there was a three-point shot by Butler at the very end, uh, slightly off the mark, so they didn't pull the uh, miracle finish in that game, but it had the city up in a stir. And after they lost that game, no one really expected them to do much the next year. However, guess what? Even though they lost a few key players, they were right back there in the uh, the national championship game again. And even though they lost, it just it just really solidified what a a high quality coach Brad Stevens was. So he w- he was talking at this charity event, and he he was telling a couple stories. And again, this is all stories that my coworkers are telling me that they just listened to the, the night before. And he told one story about how after they lost the 2010 National Championship game, sometime over the summer, uh, Peyton Manning, who was with the Indianapolis Colts at the time, invited him to uh, a practice session. And during that practice session, Brad Stevens got to absorb some of the techniques of, of one of the, the greatest quarterbacks to 
ever play NFL football. And apparently Peyton Manning was going over uh, some game film. Now, this wasn't just any game film. This was game film from a practice session that the Colts had. And not only was it just game film from a practice session, it there was only like two or three players on the field. Apparently, it was Peyton Manning, it was the center, and it was the fourth string running back. And all Peyton Manning was doing was watching the handoff to the fourth string running back. And he was watching it over and over and over again. And after watching that, Peyton goes to one of the assistant coaches and says, hey, you need to go to this this guy, whoever this fourth string running back was. And he goes, he really needs to work on this exchange. His foot works off. His timing's off. I think he's got talent. He needs to really, really work at this. And he potentially has a chance to make the team. But if he doesn't if he doesn't work on it, there's no way he's going to make the team. So here Brad Stevens is, uh, fresh off a national championship game. And now he's, he's hanging out with Peyton Manning. And he's just watching the coaching and the work ethic of this Super Bowl champion quarterback. And he was struck by the fact of how hard he was working on just basically fundamental things with with basically a no-name running back. And he was also um, just amazed at how, he was just amazed at how, uh, even though Peyton Manning is such a big name and he's famous and there's there's no chance of him not making the team, but just how hard he was working with trying to mentor uh, someone that could benefit from what he had to say. And Peyton Manning was also taking feedback from the uh, the assistant coach that was there, and he was trying to learn from the coach. So there was this continual mentor and mentee uh, mentality that was taking place, and it just really, um, you know, as my coworkers are recounting the story, it, it really struck uh, Brad Stevens as just something really, really unique, and he tied that into just how important it is for um, adults to mentor kids and you know, to take the lead there and, and share the information you know. And that, and that tied into uh, the fundraiser event that, that they were all at. And it also ties into a concept that we've talked about before, right? You, you need a mentor, you need to mentee, you need, to, you need a success buddy, you need someone to kind of push you and hold you accountable, hopefully in a positive way. You know, you're the average of the five people that you hang around with. Uh, if you hang around with, with more driven, focused people, you're more likely to be like they are. You know, the company you keep kind of thing. So it was really cool to hear that story and how that ties into a lot of the things that we've already talked about on this podcast. And then the other interesting thing, uh, apparently in the Q&A, this came up somehow, but but Brad Stevens talked about Really, it was a single book that sort of revolutionized his thinking. Now, knowing Brad Stevens' career path, I mean, he basically went from a corporate job in Indianapolis to the coach of the Butler Bulldogs. That's that's quite a transition right there. And then from there, uh, I think he signed, I don't know, a $5 million contract to coach the uh, Boston Celtics. So just knowing a little bit of his backstory when I heard that there was a single book that, that really shaped the way he thought about things and propelled him in the direction and the path that he ended up taking, I was extremely interested to know the name of that book. And my, my friends told me, and it was called a book by the name of Mindset, Mindset by Carol Dweck. 
And as soon as I heard the title to that book, I think it was maybe less than 45 seconds later, I had that downloaded and on my iPhone and queued up with my Audible app ready to listen to on the way home from work. And it's got a really cool message and it ties into a little bit. Okay, so we talked about excuses a few episodes ago and how how the more excuses someone makes, there's probably a high probability that they're they're not all that happy. Uh, I think there's also something along those same lines, like people that really have a hard time with criticism. And so people that don't take criticism well, uh, especially constructive criticism, if they get really defensive, that is a a really, really big red flag uh, that will stunt your personal development growth. Uh, So I want you to be aware of that. I mean, I know it's hard to take criticism sometimes, but uh, the best and brightest in almost every field are really open to criticism. And you think about Brad Stevens, all the people that he learned from to get to where he needed to be and all the criticism that he had to take to get to where he he is now. And and Peyton Manning, uh, he's a perfect example of someone that wants to just soak up and learn as much as, as he can about, um, about being a, a professional quarterback. So if you can take a cue from some of those people and try and... Uh, receive criticism as well as possible and learn from it and grow from it and process it. I mean, some of it's going to be garbage and you can discard that, but some can actually be really, really helpful for yourself. And I know when you look at someone like Peyton Manning, you're like, oh, he's got he's got so much talent. It just comes naturally to him. It's, it's a gift. Um, but <laughs> the main point of this book is there's basically two types of people out there. There are people with a fixed mindset and people with a growth mindset. I'll leave it to the clip to explain the difference between both of those type of mindsets. And then you can use your best judgment as to which type of mindset you want to have from this moment forward. Okay, here's the clip. Inside the mindsets. When I was a young woman, I wanted a prince-like mate. Very handsome, very successful, a big cheese. I wanted a glamorous career, but nothing too hard or risky. And I wanted it all to come to me as validation of who I was. It would be many years before I was satisfied. I got a great guy, but he was a work in progress. I have a great career, but boy, is it a constant challenge. Nothing was easy. So why am I satisfied? I changed my mindset. I changed it because of my work. One day, my doctoral student, Mary Bandura, and I were trying to understand why some students were so caught up in proving their ability, while others could just let go and learn. Suddenly, we realized that there were two meanings to ability, not one, a fixed ability that needs to be proven and a changeable ability that can be developed through learning. That's how the mindsets were born. I knew instantly which one I had— I realized why I had always been so concerned about mistakes and failures, and I recognized for the first time that I had a choice. When you enter a mindset, you enter a new world. In one world, the world of fixed traits, success is about proving you're smart or talented, validating yourself. In the other, the world of changing qualities, it's about stretching yourself to learn something new, developing yourself. In one world, 
Failure is about having a setback, getting a bad grade, losing a tournament, getting fired, getting rejected. It means you're not smart or talented. In the other world, failure is about not growing, not reaching for the things you value. It means you're not fulfilling your potential. In one world, effort is a bad thing. It, like failure, means you're not smart or talented. If you were, you wouldn't need effort. In the other world, effort is what makes you smart or talented. You have a choice. Mindsets are just beliefs. They're powerful beliefs, but they're just something in your mind, and you can change your mind. As you read, think about where you'd like to go and which mindset will take you there. Is success about learning or proving you're smart? Benjamin Barber, an eminent sociologist, once said, "I don't divide the world into the weak and the strong, or the successes and the failures. I divide the world into the learners and non-learners." What on earth would make someone a non-learner? Everyone is born with an intense drive to learn. Infants stretch their skills daily, not just ordinary skills, but the most difficult tasks of a lifetime, like learning to walk and talk. They never decide it's too hard or not worth the effort. Babies don't worry about making mistakes or humiliating themselves. They walk, they fall, they get up, they just barge forward. What could put an end to this exuberant learning? The fixed mindset. As soon as children become able to evaluate themselves, some of them become afraid of challenges. They become afraid of not being smart. I have studied thousands of people from preschoolers on, and it's breathtaking how many reject an opportunity to learn. We offered four-year-olds a choice: they could redo an easy jigsaw puzzle, or they could try a harder one. Even at this tender age, children with the fixed mindset, the ones who believed in fixed traits, stuck with the safe one. Kids who are born smart don't do mistakes. They told us. Children with the growth mindset, the ones who believed you could get smarter, thought it was a strange choice. Why are you asking me to do this, lady? Why would anyone want to keep doing the same puzzle over and over? They chose one hard one after another. I'm dying to figure them out," exclaimed one little girl. So children with the fixed mindset want to make sure they succeed. Smart people should always succeed. But for children with the growth mindset, success is about stretching themselves. It's about becoming smarter. One seventh-grade girl summed it up: "I think intelligence is something you have to work for. It isn't just given to you. Most kids, if they're not sure of an answer, will not raise their hand to answer the question." But what I usually do is raise my hand because if I'm wrong, then my mistake will be corrected, or I will raise my hand and say, "How would this be solved?" or "I don't get this. Can you help me?" Just by doing that, I'm increasing my intelligence. Beyond puzzles, it's one thing to pass up a puzzle; it's another to pass up an opportunity that's important to your future. To see if this would happen, we took advantage of an unusual situation. At the University of Hong Kong, everything is in English. Classes are in English, textbooks are in English, and exams are in English. But some students who enter the university are not fluent in English, so it would make sense for them to do something about it in a hurry. As students arrived to register for their freshman year, we knew which ones were not skilled in English, 
and we asked them a key question. If the faculty offered a course for students who need to improve their English skills, would you take it? We also measured their mindset. We did this by asking them how much they agreed with statements like this. You have a certain amount of intelligence, and you can't really do much to change it. People who agree with this kind of statement have a fixed mindset. Those who have a growth mindset agree that you can always substantially change how intelligent you are. Later, we looked at who said yes to the English course. The students with the growth mindset gave an emphatic yes, but those with the fixed mindset were not very interested. Believing that success is about learning, students with the growth mindset seized the chance, but those with the fixed mindset didn't want to expose their deficiencies. Instead, to feel smart in the short run, they were willing to put their college careers at risk. This is how the fixed mindset makes people into non-learners. Not long ago, I was interested to read about Marina Semyonova, a great Russian dancer and teacher, who devised a novel way of selecting her students. It was a clever test for mindset. As a former student tells it, her students first have to survive a trial period while she watches to see how you react to praise and to correction. Those more responsive to the correction are deemed worthy. In other words, she separates the ones who get their thrill from what's easy, what they've already mastered, from those who get their thrill from what's hard. I'll never forget the first time I heard myself say, "This is hard. This is fun." That's the moment I knew I was changing mindsets. All right, there you go. So hopefully you see the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset, and. Obviously, we want to have a growth mindset. We want to have that thirst for learning, and just the we want to have that philosophical underpinning that you can always get better at a given skill. Right? There are very few things in life that you can't learn how to do better.、It、may take some time. Might take some hard work.、Uh, you may have to slight edge your way to getting better, but you can become better. Even in topics and areas where traditionally you kind of think you either have it or you don't, and one of those topics happens to be parenting, which I'm really excited. That's going to be the topic of the next episode. We're going to talk about parenting hacks, and even if you don't have kids,、um, I am going to go over some reasons why you'll want to pay attention to the next episode. Uh, but for now, let's get into、um, productivity hacks part two. And what I'm going to play for you right now is a, an、uh, entire audio book. I mentioned on last episode that there are basically two schools of thought on productivity. There is the old school thought and the new school thought. I, I think they they play well into each other. I think you sort of have to master the old school philosophy before you start to use some of the the more advanced techniques.、Uh, so what I'm going to do right now is this audio book is an audio book called "Eat That Frog" by Brian Tracy, and the subtitle is "21 Great Ways to Stop Procrastinating and Get More Done in Less Time." Now. This audiobook you can find on YouTube for free, so that's why I was able to pull the audio and stick it on the podcast for you guys.、Um, it's a book I read years ago, and I liked it so much that I I 
printed out the 21 ways to stop procrastinating and I made a poster of it and I hung it in my uh, my bathroom so I could look at that every day and try and concentrate and see how, how I could implement some of those 21 techniques. So after you listen to this book, um, I am going to tell you like my top two, maybe three of the 21 that I, that I really, really like. So anyway, it, it's a great book. It's a relatively... A short book. I think the audio is, I don't know, two, two and a half hours, something like that. So so you can listen to this. I, I, I would suggest you maybe on your podcast app, maybe bump up the speed to a time and a half or two times. See if you can kind of get through it a little quicker and still absorb the material. So anyway, after that's done, I'll give a, a quick little commentary and then I'm going to play a clip from what I would call the uh, new school of thought on time management and productivity. And we'll, we'll kind of take it from there. But hopefully uh, you'll start to invest some time in learning some of these techniques that will really, really pay uh, huge dividends in the long run. All right, here you go. Hello, this is Brian Tracy, and thank you for listening to this program. I hope that these ideas help you as much as they've helped me and thousands of others of my students worldwide. In fact, I hope that this program changes your life forever. There's never enough time to do everything you have to do. You are literally swamped with work and personal responsibilities, projects, stacks of magazines to read, and piles of books that you intend to get to one of these days as soon as you get caught up. But the fact is that you are never going to get caught up. You will never get on top of all your tasks. You will never get far enough ahead to be able to get to all those books, magazines, and leisure time activities that you dream of doing. And forget about solving your time management problems by becoming more productive. No matter how many personal productivity techniques you master, there will always be more to do than you can ever accomplish in the time that you have available to you, no matter how much it is. You can only get control of your time and your life by changing the way you think, work, and deal with a never-ending river of responsibilities that flows over you every day. You can only get control of your tasks and activities to the degree that you stop doing some things and start spending more time on the few things that can really make a difference in your life. Now, I've studied time management for more than 30 years. I've immersed myself in the works of Peter Drucker, Alex McKenzie, Alan Lake, and Stephen Covey, and many, many others. I've read hundreds of books and thousands of articles on personal efficiency and effectiveness, and this program is the result. Each time I came across a good idea, I tried it out in my own work and personal life. If it worked, I incorporated it into my talks and seminars and taught it to others. You know, Galileo once wrote, You cannot teach a person something he doesn't already know. You can only bring what he does know to a higher level of awareness. Depending upon your level of knowledge and experience, these ideas will sound familiar. This program will bring them to a higher level of awareness for you. When you learn and apply these methods and techniques over and over until they become habits, you will alter the course of your life in a very positive way. Now let me tell you something about myself and the origins of this uh, little program. I started off in life with few advantages, aside from a curious mind. I did poorly in school and left without graduating. I worked at laboring jobs for several years. My future did not appear promising. As a young man, I got a job on a tramp freighter and went off to see the world. 
For eight years, I traveled and worked and then traveled some more, eventually visiting more than 80 countries on five continents. When I could no longer find a laboring job, I got into sales, knocking on doors, working on straight commission. I struggled from sale to sale until I finally began looking around me and asking, why is it that some people are doing better than I am? Then I did something that changed my life. I began to ask successful people what they were doing that enabled them to be more productive and earn more money than me. And they told me, and I did what they advised me to do, and my sales went up. Eventually, I became so successful that they made me a sales manager. As a sales manager, I used the same strategy. I asked successful managers what they did to achieve such great results. And when they told me, I went out and did the same things. In no time at all, I began to get the same results they did. This process of learning and applying what I had learned changed my life. I'm still amazed at how simple and obvious it is. Just find out what other successful people do and do the same things until you get the same results. Learn from the experts. Wow, what an idea. Simply put, some people are doing better than others because they do things differently and they do the right things right. Especially successful, happy, prosperous people use their time far, far better than the average person. Coming from an unsuccessful background, I had developed deep feelings of inferiority and inadequacy. I had fallen into the mental trap of assuming that people who were doing better than me were actually better than me. What I learned was that this is not necessarily true. They were just doing things differently. And what they had learned to do within reason, I could learn as well. This was a, a revelation to me. I was both amazed and excited with this discovery. I still am. I realized that I could change my life and achieve almost any goal I could set if I just found out what others were doing in that area and then did it myself until I got the same results they were getting. Within one year of starting in sales, I was a top salesman. A year later, I was made a manager. Within three years, I became a vice president in charge of a 95-person sales force in six countries. I was 25 years old. Over the years, I have worked in 22 different jobs and industries, started and built several companies, earned a business degree from a major university, learned to speak French, German, and Spanish, and been a speaker, trainer, or consultant for more than 1,000 companies. I currently give talks and seminars to more than 250,000 people each year, with audiences as large as 20,000 people. Throughout my career, I've discovered and rediscovered a simple truth. It's this. The ability to concentrate single-mindedly on your most important task, to do it well, and to finish it completely, is the key to great success, achievement, respect, status, and happiness in life. This key insight is the heart and soul of this program. This program is designed to show you how to get ahead more rapidly in your career and to simultaneously enrich your personal life. These program ideas contain the 21 most powerful principles on personal effectiveness that I have ever discovered. These methods, techniques, and strategies are practical, proven, and fast-acting. In the interest of time, I don't dwell on the various psychological or emotional explanations for procrastination or poor time management. There are no lengthy departures into theory or research. What you will learn are specific actions you can take immediately to get better, faster results in your work and to increase your happiness with your family and other people. Every idea in this book is focused on increasing your overall levels of productivity, performance, and output 
and on making you more valuable in whatever you do. You can apply many of these ideas to your personal life as well. Each of these 21 methods and techniques is complete in itself. All are necessary. One strategy may be effective in one situation and another might apply to another task. Altogether, these 21 ideas represent a smorgasbord of personal effectiveness techniques that you can use at any time, in any order or sequence that makes sense to you at the moment. The key to success is action. These principles work to bring about fast, predictable improvements in performance and results. The faster you learn and apply them, the faster you will move ahead in your career, guaranteed. There will be no limit to what you can accomplish when you learn how to eat that frog. This is a wonderful time to be alive. There have never been more possibilities and opportunities for you to achieve more of your goals than exist today. And, as perhaps never before in human history, you are actually drowning in options. In fact, there are so many good things that you can do that your ability to decide among them may be the critical determinant of what you accomplish in life. If you're like most people today, you are overwhelmed with too much to do and too little time. As you struggle to get caught up, new tasks and responsibilities just keep rolling in like the waves of the ocean. Because of this, you will never be able to do everything you have to do. You will never be caught up. You will always be behind in some of your tasks and responsibilities, and probably in many of them. For this reason, and perhaps more than ever before, your ability to select your most important task at each moment, and then to get started on that task and to get it done both quickly and well, will probably have more of an impact on your success than any other quality or skill that you could develop. An average person who develops the habit of setting clear priorities and getting important tasks completed quickly will run circles around a genius who talks a lot and makes wonderful plans, but who gets very little done. Mark Twain once said that if the first thing you do each morning is to eat a live frog, you can go through the day with the satisfaction of knowing that that's probably the worst thing that's going to happen to you all day long. Your frog is your biggest, most important task, the one that you are most likely to procrastinate on if you don't do something about it. It's also the one task that can have the greatest positive impact on your life and results at the moment. Now, the first rule of frog eating is this. If you have to eat two frogs, eat the ugliest one first. This is another way of saying that if you have two important tasks before you, Start with the biggest, hardest, and most important task first. Discipline yourself to begin immediately and then to persist until the task is complete before you go on to something else. Think of this as a test. Treat it like a personal challenge. Resist the temptation to start with the easier task. Continually remind yourself that one of the most important decisions you make each day is your choice of what you will do immediately and what you will do later if you do it at all. The second rule of frog eating is, if you have to eat a live frog at all, it doesn't pay to sit and look at it for very long. The key to reaching high levels of performance and productivity is for you to develop the lifelong habit of tackling your major task first thing each morning. You must develop the routine of eating your frog before you do anything else and without taking too much time to think about it.
In study after study of men and women who get paid more and promoted faster, the quality of action orientation stands out as the most observable and consistent behavior they demonstrate in everything they do. Successful, effective people are those who launch directly into their major tasks and then discipline themselves to work steadily and single-mindedly until those tasks are complete. In our world, and especially in our business world, you are paid and promoted for getting specific, measurable results. You are paid for making a valuable contribution, and especially for making the most important contribution that is expected of you. Failure to execute is one of the biggest problems in organizations today. Many people confuse activity with accomplishment. They talk continually, hold endless meetings, and make wonderful plans, but in the final analysis, no one does the job and gets the results required. Fully 95% of your success in life and work will be determined by the kind of habits that you develop over time. The habit of setting priorities, overcoming procrastination, and getting on with your most important task is a mental and physical skill. As such, this habit is learnable through practice and repetition over and over again until it locks into your subconscious mind and becomes a permanent part of your behavior. Once it becomes a habit, it becomes both automatic and easy to do. This habit of starting and completing important tasks has immediate and continuous payoff. You are designed mentally and emotionally in such a way that task completion gives you a positive feeling. It makes you happy. It makes you feel like a winner. Whenever you complete a task of any size or importance, you feel a surge of energy, enthusiasm, and self-esteem. The more important the completed task, the happier, more confident, and powerful you feel about yourself and your world. Important task completion triggers the release of endorphins and dopamines in your brain. These endorphins and dopamines give you a natural high. Uh, the endorphin rush that follows successful completion of any task makes you feel more positive, personable, creative, and confident. Here's one of the most important of the so-called secrets of success. It is that you can actually develop a positive addiction to endorphins and to the feeling of enhanced clarity, confidence, and competence that they trigger. When you develop this addiction, you will, at an unconscious level, Begin to organize your life in such a way that you are continually starting and completing ever more important tasks and projects. You actually become addicted in a very positive sense to success and contribution. One of the keys to your living a wonderful life, to having a successful career and feeling terrific about yourself is for you to develop the habit of starting and finishing important jobs. At that point, this behavior takes on a power of its own and you find it easier to complete important tasks than not to complete them. You remember the story of the man who stops a musician on a street in New York and asks how he can get to Carnegie Hall. The musician replies, Practice, man, practice. Practice is the key to mastering any skill. Fortunately, your mind is like a muscle. It grows stronger and more capable with use. With practice, you can learn any behavior or develop any habit that you consider either desirable or necessary. You need three key qualities to develop the habits of focus and concentration. They are all learnable qualities. They are decision, discipline, and determination. First, 
make a decision to develop the habit of task completion. Second, discipline yourself to practice the principles you're about to learn over and over until they become automatic. And third, back everything you do with determination until the habit is locked in and becomes a permanent part of your personality. There's a special way that you can accelerate your progress toward becoming the highly productive, effective, efficient person that you want to be. It consists of your thinking continually about the rewards and benefits of being an action-oriented, fast-moving, and focused person. See yourself as the kind of person who gets important jobs done quickly and well on a consistent basis. Your mental picture of yourself has a powerful effect on your behavior. So visualize yourself as the person you intend to be in the future. Your self-image, the way you see yourself on the inside, largely determines your performance on the outside. All improvement in your outer life begins with improvements in your mental pictures on the inside. You have a virtually unlimited ability to learn and develop new habits, skills, and abilities. When you train yourself through repetition and practice to overcome procrastination and get your most important tasks completed quickly, you will move yourself onto the fast track in your life and career and step on the accelerator. Let's begin with Chapter 1, entitled, Set the Table. Napoleon Hill uh, once wrote, There is one quality that one must possess to win, and that is definiteness of purpose, the knowledge of what one wants, and a burning desire to achieve it. Before you can determine your frog and get on with the job of eating it, you have to decide exactly what it is you want to achieve in each area of your life. Clarity is perhaps the most important concept in personal productivity. The number one reason why some people get more work done faster is because they're absolutely clear about their goals and objectives and they don't deviate from them. The greater clarity you have regarding what you want and the steps you'll have to take to to achieve it, the easier it will be for you to overcome procrastination, eat your frog, and complete the task before you. A major reason for procrastination and lack of motivation is vagueness, confusion, and fuzzy-mindedness about what it is you're trying to do, and in what order, and for what reason. You must avoid this common condition with all your strength by striving for ever greater clarity in your major goals and tasks. Here's a great rule for success. Think on paper. Let me repeat that. Think on paper. Only about 3% of adults have clear written goals. These people accomplish 5 and 10 times as much as people of equal or better education and ability, but who, for whatever reason, have never taken the time to write out exactly what it is they want. There's a powerful formula for setting and achieving goals that you can use for the rest of your life. It consists of seven simple steps. Any one of these steps can double and triple your productivity if you're not currently using it. Many of my graduates have increased their incomes dramatically in a matter of a few years or even a few months with this simple seven-part method. Step one, decide exactly what you want. Either decide for yourself or sit down with your boss and discuss your goals and objectives until you are absolutely crystal clear about what is expected of you and in what order of priority. 
It's amazing how many people are working away day after day on low-value tasks because they've not had this critical discussion with their manager or boss. Here's a rule. One of the very worst uses of time is to do something very well that need not be done at all. Stephen Covey says that before you begin scrambling up the ladder of success, make sure that it's leaning against the right building. Be clear about your goals. Step two, write it down. Think on paper. When you write your goal down, you crystallize it and give it tangible form. You create something that you can touch and see. On the other hand, a goal or objective that is not in writing is merely a wish or a fantasy. It has no energy behind it. Unwritten goals lead to confusion, vagueness, misdirection, and numerous mistakes. Step 3. Set a deadline on your goal. Set sub-deadlines if necessary. A goal or decision without a deadline has no urgency. It has no real beginning or end. Without a definite deadline accompanied by the assignment or acceptance of specific responsibilities for completion, you will naturally procrastinate and get very little done. Step 4. Make a list of everything that you can think of that you are going to have to do to achieve your goal. As you think of new activities, add them to your list. Keep building your list until it's complete. A list gives you a visual picture of the larger task or objective. It gives you a track to run on. It dramatically increases the likelihood that you will achieve your goal as you have defined it and on schedule. Step 5 in this goal-setting methodology is to organize your list into a plan. Organize your list by priority and sequence. Take a few minutes to decide what you need to do first and what you can do later. Decide what has to be done before something else and what needs to be done afterwards. Even better, lay out your plan visually in the form of a series of boxes and circles on a sheet of paper with lines and arrows showing the relationship of each task to each other task. You'll be amazed at how much easier it is to achieve your goal when you break it down into individual tasks. With a written goal and an organized plan of action, you will be far more productive and efficient than someone who is carrying his goals around in his mind. Step 6. Take action on your plan immediately. Do something. Do anything. An average plan vigorously executed is far better than a brilliant plan on which nothing is done. For you to achieve any kind of success, execution is everything. And step number seven, resolve to do something every single day that moves you toward your major goal. Build this activity into your daily schedule. You may read a specific number of pages on a key subject. You could call on a specific number of prospects or customers. You can engage in a specific period of physical exercise. You can learn a certain number of new words in a foreign language. Whatever it is, you must never miss a day. Keep pushing forward. Once you start moving, keep moving. Don't stop. This decision, this discipline alone, can dramatically increase your speed of goal accomplishment and boost your personal productivity. Now, clear written goals have a wonderful effect on your thinking. They motivate you and galvanize you into action. They stimulate your creativity, release your energy, and help you to overcome procrastination as much as any other factor. Goals are the fuel in the furnace of achievement. The bigger your goals and the clearer they are, the more excited you become about achieving them. 
the more you think about your goals, the greater becomes your inner drive and desire to accomplish them. Think about your goals and review them daily. Every morning when you begin, take action on the most important task you can accomplish to achieve your most important goal at the moment. Now here are two exercises to apply what you've just learned in this chapter. First, take a clean sheet of paper right now and make out a list of 10 goals you want to accomplish in the next year. Write your goals as though a year has already passed and they are now a reality. Use the present tense, positive, and personal case so that they are accepted immediately by your subconscious mind. For example, you would write, I earn X number of dollars per year, or I weigh X number of pounds, or I drive such and such a car. Second, review your list of 10 goals and select the one goal that if you achieved it would have the greatest positive impact on your life. Whatever that goal is, write it on a separate sheet of paper, set a deadline, make a plan, take action on your plan, and then do something every single day that moves you toward that goal. This exercise alone can change your life. Chapter 2. Plan Every Day in Advance The time management expert Alan Lakin once said, Planning is bringing the future into the present so that you can do something about it now. You've heard the old question, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is, one bite at a time. How do you eat your biggest, ugliest frog? The same way. You break it down into specific step-by-step -step activities, and then you start on the first one. Your mind, your ability to think, plan, and decide, is your most powerful tool for overcoming procrastination, and increasing your productivity. Your ability to set your goals, make plans, and take action on them determines the course of your life. The very act of thinking and planning unlocks your mental powers, triggers your creativity, and increases your mental and physical energies. Conversely, as Alex McKenzie wrote, action without planning is the cause of every failure. Your ability to make good plans before you begin is a measure of your overall competence. The better the plan you have, the easier it is for you to overcome procrastination, to get started, to eat your frog, and then to keep going. One of your top goals at work should be for you to get the highest possible return on your investment of mental, emotional, and physical energy. The good news is that Every minute spent in planning saves as many as 10 minutes in execution. It only takes about 10 to 12 minutes for you to plan out your day, but this small investment of time will save you at least 2 hours, 100 to 120 minutes, in wasted time and diffused effort throughout the day that would happen if you didn't have a written plan. You may have heard of the 6P formula. It says, Proper Prior Planning prevents poor performance. When you consider how helpful planning can be in increasing your productivity and performance, it's amazing how few people practice it every single day. And planning is really quite simple to do. All you need is a piece of paper and a pen. The most sophisticated Palm Pilot computer programmer time planner is based on the same principle. It is based on your sitting down and making a list 
of everything you have to do before you begin. Always work from a list. When something new comes up, add it to the list before you do it. You can increase your productivity and output by 25% or more, or by about two hours per day from the first day that you begin working consistently from a list, if you're not already doing it. Make out your list the night before at the end of the workday. Move everything that you've not yet accomplished onto your list for the coming day, and then add everything that you have to do the next day as well. When you make out your list the evening or the night before, your subconscious mind works on your list all night long while you sleep. Often you'll wake up with great ideas and insights that you can use to get your job done faster and better than you had initially thought. The more time you take to make written lists of everything you have to do in advance, the more effective and efficient you will be. Now, there are different lists that you need for different purposes. First, you should create a master list on which you write down everything you can think of that you want to do sometime in the future. This is the place where you capture every idea that comes to you or every new task or responsibility that comes up. You can then sort out the items later. Second, you should have a monthly list that you make up at the end of the month for the month ahead. This may contain items transferred from your master list. Third, you should have a weekly list where you plan your entire week in advance. This is a list that is under construction as you go through the current week. This discipline of systematic time planning can be very helpful to you. Many people have told me that the habit of taking a couple of hours at the end of each week to plan the coming week has increased their productivity dramatically and changed their lives completely. This technique will work for you as well. Finally, you transfer items from your monthly and weekly lists onto your daily list. These are the specific activities that you're going to accomplish that day. As you work through the day, tick off the items on your list as you complete them. This activity alone gives you a visual picture of accomplishment. It generates a feeling of success and forward motion. Seeing yourself working progressively through your list motivates and energizes you. It raises your self-esteem and self-respect. Steady, visible progress propels you forward and helps you to overcome procrastination. When you have a project of any kind, begin by making a list of every step that you will have to complete to finish the project from beginning to end. Organize the project by priority and sequence. Lay out the project in front of you on paper or on a computer so that you can see every step and task. Then go to work on one task at a time. You will be amazed at how much you get done in this way. As you work through your lists, you will feel more effective and, and powerful. You'll feel more in control of your life. You'll be naturally motivated to do even more. You will think better and more creatively, and you'll get more and better insights that enable you to do your work even faster. As you work steadily through your lists, you'll develop a sense of positive forward momentum that enables you to overcome procrastination. This feeling of progress gives you more energy and keeps you going throughout the day. One of the most important rules of personal effectiveness is the 10-stroke-90 rule. This rule says that the first 10% of time that you spend planning and organizing your work before you begin will save you as much as 90% of the time in getting the job done once you get started. You only have to try this rule once to prove it to yourself.
When you plan each day in advance, you find it much easier to get going and to keep going. The work goes faster and smoother than ever before. You feel more powerful and competent. You get more done faster than you thought possible. Eventually, you become unstoppable. Now, here are two exercises to put these ideas into action. First, begin today to plan every day, week, and month in advance. Take a notepad or sheet of paper or use your PDA or BlackBerry and make a list of everything you have to do in the next 24 hours. Add to this list as new items come up. Make a list of all your projects, the big multitask jobs that are important to your future. Second, lay out each of your major goals, projects, or tasks by priority, what is most important, and by sequence, what has to be done first, what comes second, and so forth. Start with the end in mind and work backward. Remember, think on paper. Always work from a list. You'll be amazed at how much more productive you become and how much easier it is to eat your frog. Chapter 3. Apply the 80-20 Rule to Everything Wolfgang von Goethe once said, We always have time if we will but use it aright. The 80-20 Rule is one of the most helpful of all concepts of time and life management. It's also called the Pareto Principle, after its founder, the Italian economist Vilfredo Pareto, who first wrote about it in 1895. Pareto noticed that people in his society seemed to divide naturally into what he called the vital few, the top 20% in terms of money and influence, and the trivial many, the bottom 80%. He later discovered that virtually all economic activity was subject to this Pareto principle as well. For example, this rule says that 20% of your activities will account for 80% of your results. 20% of your customers will account for 80% of your sales. 20% of your products or services will account for 80% of your profits. 20% of your tasks will account for 80% of the value of what you do, and so on. This means that if you have a list of 10 items to do, two of those items will turn out to be worth as much or more than the other eight items put together. Now, here's an interesting discovery. Each of these tasks may take the same amount of time to accomplish, but one or two of these tasks will contribute five or ten times the value as any of the others. Often, one item on a list of ten things that you have to do can be worth more than all the other nine items put together. This task is invariably the frog that you should eat first. Now, can you guess on which items the average person is most likely to procrastinate? The sad fact is that most people procrastinate on the top 10 or 20% of items that are the most valuable and important, the vital few. They busy themselves instead with the least important 80%, the trivial many, that contribute very little to results. You often see people who appear to be busy all day long, but they seem to accomplish very little. This is almost always because they are busy doing things that are of low value while they procrastinate on the one or two activities that, if they completed them quickly and well, could make a real difference to their companies and their careers. The most valuable tasks you can do each day are often the hardest and most complex, but the payoff and rewards for completing these tasks efficiently can be tremendous. For this reason, you must adamantly refuse to work on tasks in the bottom 
while you still have tasks in the top 20% left to be done. Before you begin work, always ask yourself, is this task in the top 20% of my activities or in the bottom 80%? Here's a rule for you. Resist the temptation to clear up small things first. Remember, whatever you choose to do over and over eventually becomes a habit that is hard to break. If you choose to start your day on low-value tasks, you soon develop the habit of always starting and working on low-value tasks. This is not the kind of habit you want to develop or keep. The hardest part of any important task is getting started on it in the first place. Once you actually begin work on a valuable task, you seem to be naturally motivated to continue. There is a part of your mind that loves to be busy working on significant tasks that can really make a difference. Your job is to feed this part of your mind continually. Just thinking about starting and finishing an important task motivates you and helps you to overcome procrastination. The fact is that the amount of time required to complete an important job is often the same as the time required to do an unimportant job. The difference is that you get a tremendous feeling of pride and satisfaction from the completion of something valuable and significant. However, when you complete a low-value task, using the same amount of time and energy, you get little or no satisfaction at all. Time management is really life management, personal management. It is really taking control over the sequence of events. Time management is control over what you do next, and you are always free to choose the task that you will do next. Your ability to choose between the important and the unimportant is the key determinant of your success in life and work. Effective, productive people discipline themselves to start on the most important task that is before them. They force themselves to eat that frog, whatever it is. As a result, they accomplish vastly more than the average person and are much happier as a result. This should be your way of working as well. Now, here are two exercises for you to put this into action. First, make a list of all the key goals, activities, projects, and responsibilities in your life today. Determine which of them are in the top 10 or 20% of tasks that represent or could represent 80% or 90% of your results. Second, resolve today that you're going to spend more and more of your time working in those few areas that can really make a difference in your life and career and less and less time on lower-value activities. Chapter 4. Consider the Consequences Orison Sweat Marden, the great success authority, once said, Every man has become great. Every successful man has succeeded in proportion as he has confined his powers to one particular channel. The mark of the superior thinker is his or her ability to accurately predict the consequences of doing or not doing something. The potential consequences of any task or activity are the key determinants of how important it really is to you and your company. This way of evaluating the significance of a task is how you determine what your next frog really is. Dr. Edward Banfield of Harvard University, after more than 50 years of research, concluded that long-time perspective is the most accurate single predictor of upward social and economic mobility in America. Long-time perspective turns out to be more important than family background, education, 
race, intelligence, connections, or virtually any other single factor in determining your success in life and at work. Your attitude toward time, your time horizon, has an enormous impact on your behavior and your choices. People who take the long view of their lives and careers always seem to make much better decisions about their time and activities than people who give very little thought to the future. Here's the rule. Long-term thinking improves short-term decision-making. Successful people have a clear future orientation. They think 5, 10, and 20 years out into the future. They analyze their choices and behaviors in the present to make sure that what they are doing today is consistent with the long-term future that they desire. In your work, having a clear idea of what is really important to you in the long term makes it much easier for you to make better decisions about your priorities in the short term. By definition, something that is important has long-term potential consequences. Something that is unimportant has few or no long-term potential consequences. Before starting on anything, you should always ask yourself, what are the potential consequences of doing or not doing this task? Here's another rule. Future intent influences and often determines present actions. The clearer you are about your future intentions, the greater influence that clarity will have on what you do in the moment. With a long-term clear vision, you are much more capable of evaluating an activity in the present and assuring that it is consistent with where you truly want to end up. Successful people are those who are willing to delay gratification and make sacrifices in the short term so that they can enjoy far greater rewards in the long term. Unsuccessful people, on the other hand, think more about short-term pleasure and immediate gratification while giving very little thought to the long-term future. Dennis Waitley, the motivational speaker, says, Failures do what is tension-relieving, while winners do what is goal-achieving. For example, coming into work earlier, uh, reading regularly in your field, taking courses to improve your skills, and focusing on high-value tasks in your work will all combine to have an enormous positive impact on your future. On the other hand, coming into work at the last moment, reading the newspaper, drinking coffee, and socializing with your co-workers may seem fun and enjoyable in the short term, but it inevitably leads to lack of promotion, underachievement, and frustration in the long term. If there's a task or activity with large, potential, positive consequences, make it a top priority and get started on it immediately. If there is something that can have large, potential, negative consequences if it's not done quickly and well, that becomes a top priority as well. Whatever your frog is, resolve to gulp it down first thing. Motivation requires motive. The greater the positive potential impact that an action or behavior of yours can have on your life, once you define it clearly, the more motivated you will be to overcome procrastination and get it done quickly. Keep yourself focused and forward-moving by continually starting and completing those tasks that can make a major difference to your company and to your future. Remember, the time is going to pass anyway. The only question is how you use it and where you're going to end up at the end of the weeks and months. And where you end up 
is largely a matter of the amount of consideration you give to the likely consequences of your actions in the short term. Thinking continually about the potential consequences of your choices, decisions, and behaviors is one of the very best ways to determine your true priorities in your work and personal life. You should always obey the law of forced efficiency. This law says that there is never enough time to do everything, but there's always enough time to do the most important things. Put another way, you cannot eat every tadpole and frog in the pond but you can eat the biggest and ugliest one, and that will often be enough, at least for the time being. When you run out of time and the consequences for non-completion of a key task or project can be really serious, you always seem to find the time to get it done, often at the very last minute. When you have no choice, when the consequences for non-completion are serious enough, you start early, you stay late, and you drive yourself to complete the job rather than to face the unpleasantness that would follow if you didn't get it completed within the time limit. Rule. There will never be enough time to do everything you have to do. It's been estimated that the average person in business today, especially managers in the age of cutbacks, is working at 110% to 130% of capacity. And the jobs and responsibilities just keep piling up. Everyone has stacks of reading material they still have to go through. One study concluded recently that the average executive has 300 to 400 hours of reading and projects backlogged at home and at work. What this means is that you will never be caught up. Get that wonderful idea out of your mind. All you can hope for is to be on top of your most important responsibilities. The others will just have to wait. Now, many people say that they work better under the pressure of deadlines. Unfortunately, Years of research indicate that this is seldom true. Under the pressure of deadlines, often self-created through procrastination and delay, people suffer greater stress, make more mistakes, and have to redo more tasks than under any other conditions. Often, the mistakes that are made when people are working under tight deadlines lead to defects and cost overruns that lead to substantial financial losses in the long term. Sometimes the job actually takes much longer to complete when people rush to get the job done at the last minute and then have to redo it. It's much better to plan your time carefully in advance and then build in a sizable buffer to compensate for unexpected delays and diversions. However much time you think a task will take, add on another 20% or more or make a game of getting it done well in advance of the deadline. You'll be amazed at how much more relaxed you are and how much better a job you actually do. There are three questions that you can use on a regular basis to keep yourself focused on getting your most important tasks completed on schedule. The first question is, what are my highest value activities? Put another way, what are the biggest frogs that you have to eat to make the greatest contribution to your organization? your family, to your life in general. This is one of the most important questions you can ask and answer. What are your highest value activities? First, think this through for yourself. Then ask your boss. Ask your co-workers and subordinates. Ask your friends and family. Like focusing the lens of a camera, you must be crystal clear about your highest value activities 
before you begin work. The second question you can ask continually is this. What can I and only I do that if done well will make a real difference? This question comes from Peter Drucker, the management guru. It is one of the best of all questions for achieving personal effectiveness. What can you and only you do that if done well can make a real difference? Now this is defined as something that only you can do. If you don't do it, it won't be done by someone else. But if you do do it, and you do do it well, it can really make a difference to your life and your career. What is this particular frog for you? Every hour of every day, you can ask yourself this question, and there will be a specific answer. Your job is to be clear about the answer, and then to start and work on this task before anything else. The third question you can ask is, what is the most valuable use of my time right now? In other words, what is my biggest frog of all at this moment? This is the core question of time management. Answering this question correctly is the key to overcoming procrastination and becoming a highly productive person. Every hour of every day, there is some task that is the most valuable use of your time at that moment. Your job is to ask yourself this question over and over again and to always be working on the answer to it, whatever it is. Do first things first and second things not at all. As Goethe said, the things that matter most must never be at the mercy of the things that matter least. The more accurate your answers to these three questions, the easier it will be for you to set clear priorities to overcome procrastination and to get started on that one activity that represents the most valuable use of your time. Now, here are two exercises that you can use to put these ideas into action immediately. First, review your list of tasks, activities, and projects regularly. Continually ask yourself, which one project or activity, if I did it in an excellent and timely fashion, would have the greatest positive consequences in my work or personal life. Second, determine the most important things you could be doing every hour of every day, and then discipline yourselves to work continually on the most valuable use of your time. What is this for you right now? Whatever it is that can help you the most, set it as a goal, make a plan to achieve it, and go to work on your plan immediately. Remember the wonderful words of Goethe, just begin and the mind grows heated. Continue and the task will be completed. Chapter 5. Practice Creative Procrastination Here's a quote from uh, Boardroom Reports that says, Make time for getting big tasks done every day. Plan your daily workload in advance. Single out the relatively few small jobs that absolutely must be done immediately in the morning then, go directly to the big tasks and pursue them to completion. Creative procrastination is one of the most effective of all personal performance techniques. It can actually change your life. The fact is that you can't do everything that you have to do. You have to procrastinate on something. Therefore, procrastinate on small tasks. Put off eating smaller or less ugly frogs. Eat the biggest and ugliest frogs before anything else. Do the worst First, everyone procrastinates. 
The difference between high performers and low performers is largely determined by what they choose to procrastinate on. Since you must procrastinate anyway, decide today to procrastinate on low-value activities. Decide to procrastinate, outsource, delegate, and eliminate those activities that don't make much of a contribution to your life in any case. Get rid of the tadpoles and focus on the frogs. Now here's a key point. To set proper priorities, you must set posteriorities as well. A priority is something that you do more of and sooner, while a posteriority is something that you do less of and later, if at all. Here's the rule. You can only get your time and your life under control to the degree to which you discontinue lower-value activities. One of the most powerful of all words in time management is the word no. Say it politely and courteously. Say it clearly so that there are no misunderstandings. Say it regularly as a normal part of your time management vocabulary. Say no to anything that is not a high-value use of your time and your life. Say no graciously but firmly to avoid agreeing to something against your will. Say it early and say it often. Remember that you have no spare time. As we say, your dance card is full. For you to do something new, you must complete or stop doing something old. Getting in requires getting out. Picking up means putting down. Creative procrastination is the act of thoughtfully and deliberately deciding upon the exact things that you are not going to do right now, if ever. Now, most people engage in unconscious procrastination. They procrastinate without thinking about it. As a result, they procrastinate on the big, valuable, important tasks that can have significant long-term consequences to their lives and careers. You must avoid this common tendency at all costs. Your job is to deliberately procrastinate on those tasks that are of low value so that you have more time for those tasks that can make a big difference in your life and work. Continually review your duties and responsibilities to identify those time-consuming tasks and activities that you can abandon with no real loss. This is an ongoing responsibility for you that never ends. For example, a friend of mine, when he was single, was an avid golfer. He liked to golf uh, three and four times a week, uh, three to four hours each time. Over a period of years, he started a business, got married, and had two children. But he still played golf three to five times a week until he finally realized that his time on the golf course was causing him enormous stress at home and at the office. It was only by abandoning most of his golf games that he could get his life back under control. Continually review your life and work to find those time-consuming tasks and activities that you can abandon with no real loss. Cut down on television watching and spend the time saved with your family or reading or exercising or doing something that enhances the quality of your life. Look at your work activities and identify the tasks that you could delegate or eliminate to free up more time for the work that really counts. Begin today to practice creative procrastination to set posteriorities wherever and whenever you can. This decision alone can enable you to get your time and life under control. 
Now, here are two exercises to put these ideas into action. Number one, practice zero-based thinking on every part of your life. Ask yourself continually, if I was not now doing this already, knowing what I now know, would I start it up or get into it again today? If it is something that you would not start up again today, knowing what you now know, it's a prime candidate for abandonment or creative procrastination. Second, examine each of your personal and work activities and evaluate it based on your current situation. Select at least one activity to abandon immediately or at least deliberately put off until your more important goals have been achieved. Chapter 6. Practice the ABCDE method continually. William Matthews once said, The first law of success is concentration, to bend all the energies to one point and to go directly to that point, looking neither to the right nor to the left. The more thought you invest in planning and setting priorities before you begin, the more important things you will do and the faster you will get them done once you get started. The more important and valuable the task is to you, the more likely you will be motivated to overcome procrastination and launch yourself into the job. The ABCDE method is a powerful priority setting technique that you can use every single day. This technique is so simple and effective that it can, all by itself, make you one of the most efficient and effective people in your field. The power of this technique lies in its simplicity. Here's how it works. You start with a list of everything you have to do for the coming day. Think on paper. You then place an A, B, C, D, or E before each item on your list before you begin the first task. An A item is defined as something that is very important. This is something that you must do. This is a task for which there can be serious consequences if you do it or fail to do it, like visiting a key customer or finishing a report for your boss that she needs for an upcoming board meeting. These are the frogs of your life. If you have more than one A task, you prioritize these tasks by writing A1, A2, A3, and so on in front of each item. Your A1 task is your biggest, ugliest frog of all. Now, a B item is defined as a task that you should do, but it only has mild consequences. These are the tadpoles of your work life. This means that someone may be unhappy or inconvenienced if you don't do it, but it's nowhere as important as an A task. Returning an unimportant telephone message or reviewing your email would be a B task. The rule is that you should never do a B task when there is an A task left undone. You should never be distracted by a tadpole when there is a big frog sitting there waiting to be eaten. A C task is defined as something that would be nice to do, but for which there are no consequences at all, whether you do it or not. A C task uh, includes uh, a phoning a friend, uh, having coffee or lunch with a co-worker, or completing some personal business during work hours. This sort of activity has no effect at all on your work life. A D task is defined as something you can delegate to someone else. The rule is that you should delegate everything that anyone else can do so that you can free up more time for the A tasks that only you can do. An E task is defined as something that you can eliminate altogether and it won't make any real difference. 
This may be a task that was important at one time, but which is no longer relevant to yourself or anyone else. Often it is something you continue to do out of habit or because you enjoy it. But every minute that you spend on an e-task is time taken away from a task or activity that can make a real difference in your life. After you've applied the ABCDE method to your list, you'll now be completely organized and ready to get more important things done faster. The key to making this ABCDE method work is for you to now discipline yourself to start immediately on your A1 task and then to stay at it until it's complete. Use your willpower to get going and stay going on this one job, the most important single task you could possibly be doing. Eat the whole frog and don't stop until it's finished completely. Your ability to think through, analyze your work list, and determine your A1 task is the springboard to higher levels of accomplishment and greater self-esteem, self-respect, and personal pride. When you develop the habit of concentrating on your A1 most important activity on eating your frog, you will start getting more done than any two or three people around you. Now, here are two exercises you can use to put these ideas into action. First, review your work list right now and put an A, B, C, D, or E next to each task or activity. Select your A1 job or project and begin on it immediately. Discipline yourself to do nothing else until this one job is complete. Second, practice this ABCDE method every day and on every work or project list before you begin work for the next month. By that time, you will have developed the habit of setting and working on your highest priority tasks and your future will be assured. Chapter 7. Focus on Key Result Areas Norman Vincent Peale once said, When every physical and mental resource is focused, one's power to solve a problem multiplies tremendously. Why are you on the payroll? This is one of the most important questions you ever ask and answer, over and over again throughout your career. As it happens, most people are not sure exactly why they're on the payroll. They're not clear. But if you're not crystal clear about why it is that you are on the payroll and what results you have been hired to accomplish, it's very hard for you to perform at your best, get paid more, and promote it faster. In its simplest terms, you have been hired to get specific results. A wage or a salary is a payment for a specific quality and quantity of work that can be combined with the work of others to create a product or service that customers are willing to pay for. Each job can be broken down into about five to seven key result areas, seldom more. These are the results that you absolutely, positively have to get to fulfill your responsibilities and make your maximum contribution to your organization. Key result areas are similar to the vital functions of the body, such as blood pressure, heart rate, respiratory rate, and brainwave activity. An absence of any one of these vital functions leads to the death of the organism. By the same token, your failure to perform in a critical result area of your work can lead to the end of your job as well. For example, the key result areas of management are planning, organizing, staffing, delegating, supervising, measuring, and reporting. 
These are the results that a manager must get to succeed in his or her area of responsibility. A weakness in any one of these areas can lead to underachievement and failure as a manager. The key result areas of salespeople are prospecting, building rapport and trust, identifying needs, presenting persuasively, answering objections, closing the sale, and getting referrals and resales. Poor performance in any one of these key skills leads to lower sales and sometimes failure as a salesperson. Whatever you do, there are essential skills that you must have for you to do your job in an excellent fashion. These demands are constantly changing. There are core competencies that you have developed that make it possible for you to do your job in the first place, but there are always key results that are central to your work and which determine your success or failure in your job. What are yours? A key result area is defined as something for which you are completely responsible. This means that if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. A key result area is an activity that is under your control. It is an output of your work that becomes an input or a contributing factor to the work of others. The starting point of high performance is for you to, first of all, identify the key result areas of your work. Discuss them with your boss. Make a list of your most important output responsibilities and make sure that the people above you, next to you, and below you are in agreement with it. For example, for a salesperson, opening new accounts is a key result area. This activity is the key to the entire sales process. Closing a sale is a key result area. When the sale is made, it triggers the activities of many other people to produce and deliver the product or service. For a company owner or key executive, negotiating a bank loan is a key result area. Hiring the right people and delegating effectively are both key result areas. For a receptionist or secretary, typing a letter or answering the phone and transferring the call quickly and efficiently are defined as key result areas. The employee's ability to perform these tasks quickly and efficiently largely determines her pay and promotability. Once you've determined your key result areas, the second step is for you to grade yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in each of those areas. Where are you strong and where are you weak? Where are you getting excellent results and where are you underperforming? Here's the rule. Your weakest key result area sets the height at which you can use all your other skills and abilities. This rule says that you could be exceptional in six out of seven key result areas, but really poor in the seventh. And your poor performance in the seventh area will hold you back and determine how much you achieve with all your other skills. This weakness will act as a drag on your effectiveness and can be a constant source of friction and frustration. For example, Delegating is a key result area for a manager. This skill is the key leverage point that enables a manager to manage and get results done through others. A manager who cannot delegate properly is held back from using all his other skills at their maximum level of effectiveness. Poor delegation skills alone can lead to failure in a job. One of the major reasons for procrastination and delay in the workplace is that people avoid jobs and activities in those areas where they have performed poorly in the past. Instead of setting a goal and making a plan to improve in a particular area, most people avoid that area altogether, which just makes the situation worse. The reverse of this is that the better you become in a particular skill area, 
the more motivated you will be to perform that function, the less you will procrastinate, and the more determined you will be to get it finished. The fact is that everybody has both strengths and weaknesses. Refuse to rationalize, justify, or defend your areas of weakness. Instead, identify them clearly. Set a goal and make a plan to become very good in each of those areas. Just think, you may be only one critical skill away from top performance at your job. So here's one of the greatest questions you'll ever ask and answer. What one skill, if I developed and did it in an excellent fashion, would have the greatest positive impact on my career? Let me repeat that. This is the great question. What one skill, if you developed and did it in an excellent fashion, would have the greatest positive impact on your career? You should use this question to guide your career for the rest of your life. Look into yourself for the answer. You usually know what it is. Ask your boss this question. Ask your co-workers. Ask your friends and your family. Whatever it is, find out and then go to work to bring up your performance in this area. The good news is that all business skills are learnable. If anyone else is excellent in that particular key result area, this is proof that you can become excellent as well if you decide to. One of the fastest and best ways to stop procrastinating and get more things done faster is for you to become absolutely excellent in your key result areas. This can be as important as anything else you do in your life and career. Now here are two exercises you can use to put these ideas into action. First, identify the key result areas of your work. What are they? Write down the key results you have to get to do your job in an excellent fashion. Give yourself a grade from 1 to 10 on each one. And then, determine the one key skill that if you did it in an excellent manner would help you the most in your work. Second, Take this list to your boss and discuss it with him or her. Invite honest feedback and appraisal. Remember, you can only get better when you're open to the constructive inputs of other people. Discuss your results with your staff and co-workers. Talk them over with your spouse. Make a habit of doing this analysis regularly for the rest of your career. Never stop improving. This decision alone can change your life. Chapter 8 the Law of Three. Theodore Roosevelt once said, Do what you can with what you have right where you are. There are three core tasks that you perform that contain most of the value that you contribute to your business or organization. Your ability to accurately identify these three key tasks and then to focus on them most of the time is essential for you to achieve at your best. Let me tell you a true story. Three months after her first full-day coaching session with me in San Diego, Cynthia stood up and told the group a story. She said, When I came here 90 days ago, you claimed that you would show me how to double my income and double my time off within 12 months. This sounded completely unrealistic, but I was willing to give it a try. She went on, On the first day, you asked me to write down a list of everything that I did over the course of a week or a month. I came up with 17 tasks that I was responsible for. My problem was that I was completely overwhelmed with work. I was working 10 to 12 hours per day, six days per week, and not spending enough time with my husband and my two young children. But I didn't see any way out. 
I have been working for eight years for a fast-growing entrepreneurial company in the high-tech area where there always seemed to be an overwhelming amount of work to do and never enough time. Well, she continued with her story. She said, Once I had made up this list, you then told me to ask this question. If you could only do one thing on this list all day long, which one task would contribute the greatest value to your company? Once I had identified that task, which was quite easy, I put a circle around that number. You then asked, if you could only do one more thing on your list of key tasks, which would be the second activity that contributes the most value to your company? Once I had identified the second most important task, you asked me the same question with regard to the third most important task. You then said something that shocked me at the time. You said that fully 90% of the value that you contribute to your company is contained in those three tasks, whatever they are. Everything else you do is either a support task or a complementary task that could probably be delegated, downsized, outsourced, or eliminated. Cynthia continued with her story. As I looked at the three tasks, I realized that these were the three things that I did that contributed the most value to my company. Now, this was on a Friday. On Monday morning at 10 o'clock, I met with my boss and explained to him what I had discovered. I told him that I needed his help in delegating and outsourcing all my work except for those three key tasks. I felt that if I could work on those three tasks exclusively all day long, I could more than double my contribution to the company then I said to him that if I doubled my contribution, I would like to be paid twice as much. She said, my boss was completely silent. He looked at my list of key tasks, looked back up at me, looked at the list again, and then said, okay. It was now 10.21 a.m. according to the clock on the wall behind him. He said, you're right. These are the three most important things you do that you contribute to this company, and they're the three things that you do the best. I will help you to delegate and downsize all these other minor tasks to free you up to work full-time on these three key task areas. And if you double your contribution, I'll pay you twice as much. Cynthia concluded her story by saying this. She said, he did, and then I did, and then he did. He helped me delegate and assign my minor tasks so that I could concentrate on my top three jobs. As a result, I doubled my output over the next 30 days, and he doubled my income. She said, I've been working very hard for more than eight years, and I doubled my income in less than one month by focusing all my time and energy on my three key tasks. Not only that, instead of working 10 and 12 hour days, I work from eight to five and spend time in the evenings and on the weekends with my husband and my children. Focusing on my key tasks has transformed my life. Perhaps the most important word in the world of work is contribution. Your rewards, both financial and emotional, will always be in direct proportion to your results, to the value of your contribution. If you want to increase your rewards, you must focus on increasing the value of what you do. You must dedicate yourself to contributing more results to your company. And there are always three key tasks that contribute the most. Here's an exercise we give to our coaching clients very early in the process. We give them a sheet of paper and then ask them, in 30 seconds, write down your three most important goals in life right now. What we have found is that when you only have 30 seconds to write your three most important goals, 
your answers will be as accurate as if you had 30 minutes or 3 hours. Your subconscious mind seems to go into a form of hyperdrive and your three most important goals will pop out of your head and onto the paper, often to the surprise of the person doing the exercise. In 80% or more of cases, the three common goals that most people have are, first, a financial and career goal, second, a family or personal relationship goal, and third, a health or fitness goal. And this is as it should be. These are the three most important areas of life. If you give yourself a grade on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being the lowest and 10 being the highest, and apply this scale to each of these three areas, you can immediately identify where you are doing well in life and where you need some improvement. Try it yourself and see. Give this test to your spouse or your children. The answers can be quite revealing. Later in our coaching program, we expand this exercise by asking the following questions. 1. What are your three most important business or career goals right now? 2. What are your three most important family or relationship goals right now? 3. What are your three most important financial goals right now? 4. What are your three most important health goals right now? 5. What are your three most important personal and professional development goals right now? 6. What are your three most important social and community goals right now? And 7. What are your three biggest problems or concerns in life right now? When you force yourself to ask and answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, you will often be amazed at the answers. Whatever your answers, they will usually be an accurate snapshot of your true situation in life at the moment. These answers will tell you what's really important to you. While you're setting goals and priorities, getting organized, concentrating single-mindedly on one task at a time, and disciplining yourself to complete your most important tasks, you must never forget that your ultimate goal is to live a long, happy, and healthy life. The main reason that you develop time management skills is so that you can get everything that is really important in your work completed so that you can free up more time and more time to do the things in your personal life that give you the greatest happiness and satisfaction. Fully 85% of your happiness in life will come from happy relationships with other people, especially those closest to you and the members of your family. The critical determinant of the quality of your relationships is the amount of time that you spend face-to-face with the people you love and who love you in return. The purpose of time management, of eating that frog and getting more done in less time, is to enable you to spend more face time with the people you care about, doing the things that give you the greatest amount of joy in life. Here's the rule. It is quality of time at work that counts and quantity of time at home that matters. To keep your life in balance, you should resolve to work all the time you work. When you go to work, put your head down and work the whole time. Start a little earlier, stay a little later, work a little harder. Don't waste time. Every minute that you spend in idle chit-chat with co-workers is time taken away from the work that you must accomplish if you want to keep your job. Even worse, time that you waste at work often has to be taken away from the members of your family. 
You either have to stay late or take work home and work in the evenings. By not working effectively and efficiently during your workday, you create unnecessary stress and you deprive the members of your family of the very best person you can possibly be. There's a story of a little girl who goes to her mother and asks, Mommy, why does Daddy bring a briefcase full of work home each night and never spends any time with the family? The mother replies sympathetically, Well, honey, you have to understand, Daddy can't get his work done at the office, so he has to bring it home and get caught up here. The little girl then asks, If that's the case, why don't they put him in a slower class? One of the most important sayings of the ancient Greeks was, Moderation in all things. You need balance between your work and your personal life. You need to set priorities at work and concentrate on your most valuable tasks. At the same time, you must never lose sight of the fact that the reason for working efficiently is so that you can enjoy a higher quality of life at home with your family. Sometimes people come up to me and ask, how do I achieve balance between my work and my home life? I ask them in return, how often does a tightrope walker balance when he's on the high wire? After a few seconds of thinking, they almost always say, all the time. I say, that's the same situation with balance between family and home life. You have to do it all the time. You never reach a point where you have attained it perfectly. You have to work at it. Your goal should be to perform at your very best at work, to get the very most done and enjoy the very highest level of rewards possible for you in your career. Simultaneously, you must always remember to smell the flowers along the way. Never lose sight of the real reasons why you work as hard as you do and why you are so determined to accomplish the very most with the time that you invest. The more time you spend face-to-face -face with the people you love, the happier you will be. Now, here's two ideas to put this into action. Number one, determine the three most important things that you do in your work. Ask, if I could only do one thing all day long, which one task contributes the greatest value to my career? Do this exercise two more times. Once you have identified your big three, concentrate on them single-mindedly all day long. Second, identify your three most important goals in life in each area. Organize them by priority. Make plans for their accomplishment and work on your plans every single day. You will be amazed at what you achieve in the months and years ahead. Chapter 9. Prepare thoroughly before you begin. No matter what the level of your ability, you have more potential than you can ever develop in a lifetime, is what James T. McKay said. One of the best ways for you to overcome procrastination and get more things done faster is for you to have everything you need at hand before you begin. When you are fully prepared, you are like a cocked gun or an archer with an arrow pulled back taut in the bow. You just need one small mental push to get started on your highest value tasks. This is like getting everything ready to prepare a complete meal, such as eating a big frog. You get all the ingredients out on the counter in front of you, and you then begin putting the dinner together one step at a time. Begin by clearing off your desk or workspace so that you only have one task in front of you. If necessary, put everything on the floor or on the table behind you. 
gather all the information, reports, details, papers, and work materials that you will require to complete the job. Have them at hand so that you can reach them without getting up or moving away. Be sure that you have all writing materials, computer disks, access codes, email addresses, and everything else you need to start and continue working until the job is done. Set up your work area so that it is comfortable, attractive, and conducive to working for long periods. Especially, make sure that you have a comfortable chair that supports your back and allows your feet to sit flat on the floor. The most productive people take the time to create a work area where they enjoy spending time. The cleaner and neater your work area before you begin, the easier it is for you to get started and keep going. One of the great techniques for overcoming procrastination, eating frogs, is for you to get everything completely ready that you need to work in advance. When everything is laid out in order and sequence, you feel much more like getting on with the job. It's amazing how many books never get written, how many degrees never get completed, and how many life-changing tasks never get started because people fail to take the first step of preparing everything in advance. Los Angeles attracts people from all over America who dream of writing a successful movie script and selling it to one of the studios. They move to Los Angeles and work at low-level jobs for years while they dream of writing and selling a popular script. Recently, the Los Angeles Times sent a reporter out onto Wilshire Boulevard to interview passersby. When people came along, he asked them one question. How is your script coming? Three out of four passersbys replied, Almost done. The sad fact is that almost done probably meant not yet started. Don't let this happen to you. Once you've completed your preparations, it's essential that you launch immediately towards your goals. Get started. Do the first thing, whatever it is. My personal rule is get it 80% right and then correct it later. Run it up the flagpole and see if anyone salutes. Don't expect perfection the first time or even the first few times. Be prepared to fail over and over before you get it right. The biggest enemies we have to overcome on the road to success are not lack of ability or opportunity, but fears of failure and rejection, and the doubts that they trigger. The only way to overcome your fears is to do the thing you fear, and, as Emerson wrote, the death of fear is certain. Wayne Gretzky, the great hockey player, once said, You miss every shot you don't take. Once you've completed your preparations, have the courage to take the first action, and everything else will follow from that. The way you develop the courage you need is to act as if you already had the courage and behave accordingly. When you sit down with everything in front of you ready to go, assume the body language of high performance. Sit up straight. Sit forward and away from the back of the chair. Carry yourself as though you were an efficient, effective, high-performing personality. Then, pick up the first item and say to yourself, Let's get to work and plunge in. Once you've started, keep going until the job is finished. Here are two exercises that you can use to apply this lesson. First, take a good look at your desk or office both at home and at the office. Ask yourself, what kind of a person works in an environment like that? The cleaner and neater your work environment, 
the more positive, productive, and confident you will feel. Second, resolve today to clean up your desk and office completely so that you feel effective, efficient, and ready to get going each time you sit down to work. Chapter 10. Take it one oil barrel at a time. There's an old saying that by the yard it's hard, but inch by inch anything's a cinch. One of the best ways to overcome procrastination is for you to get your mind off the huge task in front of you and focus on a single action that you can take. One of the best ways to eat a large frog is for you to take it one bite at a time. Confucius wrote that a journey of a thousand leagues begins with a single step. This is a great strategy for overcoming procrastination and getting more things done faster. Many years ago, driving an old Land Rover, I crossed the heart of the Sahara Desert, the Tenezerift, deep in modern-day Algeria. By that time, the desert had been abandoned by the French for years, and the original refueling stations were empty and shuttered. The desert was 500 miles across in a single stretch, without water, food, a blade of grass, or even a fly. It was totally flat, like a broad yellow sand parking lot that stretched to the horizon in all directions. More than 1,300 people had perished in the crossing of that stretch of the Sahara in previous years. Often, drifting sands had obliterated the track across the desert, and the travelers had gotten lost in the night, never to be found alive again. To counter this lack of features in the terrain as you crossed that flat wasteland, the French had marked the track with black 55-gallon oil drums five kilometers apart, which was exactly the curvature of the earth. Because of this, wherever you were in the daytime, you could see two oil barrels, the one you had just passed and the one five kilometers ahead. And that was all you needed to stay on course. All you had to do was to steer for the next oil barrel. As a result, we were able to cross the biggest desert in the world by simply taking it one oil barrel at a time. In the same way, you can accomplish the biggest task in your life by disciplining yourself to take it just one step at a time. Your job is to go as far as you can see. You will then see far enough to go further. To accomplish a great task, you must step out in faith and have complete confidence that your next step will soon become clear to you. Remember the wonderful advice, leap and the net will appear. A great life, a great career, is built by performing one task at a time, quickly and well, and then going on to the next task. Financial independence is achieved by saving a little money every single month, year after year. Health and fitness are accomplished by just eating a little less and exercising a little more, day after day and month after month. You can overcome procrastination and accomplish extraordinary things by just taking the first step, by getting started toward your goal, and then taking it one step, one oil barrel at a time. Here are two exercises you can use to apply this principle. First, select any goal, task, or project in your life where you have been procrastinating, and then make a list of all the steps you will need to take to eventually complete the task. Second, take just one step immediately. Sometimes all you need 
To get started is to sit down and complete one item on the list, and then do one more, and so on. You will be amazed at what you eventually accomplish. Chapter 11. Upgrade Your Key Skills The only certain means of success, Augmandino wrote, is to render more and better service than is expected of you, no matter what your task may be. This is one of the most important personal productivity principles of all. Learn what you need to learn so that you can do your work in an excellent fashion. The better you become at eating a particular type of frog, the more likely you are to just plunge in and get it done. A major reason for delay and procrastination is a feeling of inadequacy, lack of confidence, or inability in a key area of the task. A single area where you feel weak or deficient is enough to discourage you from starting the job at all. Continually upgrade your skills in your key result areas. Remember, however good you are today, your knowledge and skill is becoming obsolete at a rapid rate. As Pat Riley, the basketball coach, said, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. One of the most helpful of all time management techniques is for you to get better at your key tasks. Personal and professional improvement is one of the best time savers there is. The better you are at a key task, the more motivated you are to launch into it. The better you are, the more energy and enthusiasm you have. When you know that you can do a job well, you find it easier to overcome procrastination and get the job done faster and better than under any other circumstances. One piece of information or one additional skill can make an enormous difference in your ability to do the job well. Identify the most important things you do and then make a plan to continually upgrade your skills in those areas. Here's the rule. Continuous learning is the minimum requirement for success in any field. Refuse to allow a weakness or a lack of ability in any area to hold you back. Everything is learnable, and what others have learned, you can learn as well. When I began to write my first book, I was discouraged because I could only use the hunt and peck method of typing. I soon realized that I had to learn to touch type if I was ever going to write and rewrite a 300-page book. So I bought a touch typing program for my computer and practiced for 20 to 30 minutes every day for three months. By the end of that time, I was typing 40 to 50 words per minute. With this additional skill, I've been able to write more than 40 books that have now been published all over the world. The best news is that you can learn whatever skills you need to be more productive and more effective. You can become a touch typist if necessary. You can become a proficient expert with a computer. You can become a terrific negotiator or a super salesperson. You can learn to speak in public. You can learn to write effectively and well. These are all skills that you can acquire as soon as you decide to and make them a priority. There are three steps to mastery. First, Read in your field for at least one hour every day. Get up a little earlier in the morning and read for 30 to 60 minutes in a book or magazine that contains information that can help you to be more effective and productive at what you do. Second, take every course and seminar available on key skills that can help you. Attend the conventions and business meetings of your profession or occupation. Go to the sessions and workshops. Sit up front and take notes. Purchase the audio recordings of the programs. Dedicate yourself to becoming one of the most knowledgeable and competent people in your field. 
And third, listen to audio programs like this in your car. The average car owner sits behind the wheel 500 to 1,000 hours each year while driving from place to place. Turn driving time into learning time. You can become one of the smartest, most capable, and highest paid people in your field simply by listening to educational audio programs as you drive around. The more you learn and know, the more confident and motivated you feel. The better you become, the more capable you will be of doing even more in your field. The more you learn, the more you can learn. Just as you can build your physical muscles through physical exercise, you build your mental muscles with mental exercises. And there is no limit to how far or how fast you can advance, except for the limits you place on your own imagination. So here are two exercises for you. First, resolve today to become a do-it-to-yourself project. Become a lifelong student of your craft. School is never out for the professional. Second, identify the key skills that can help you the most to achieve better and faster results. Determine the core competencies that you will need to have in the future to lead your field. Whatever they are, set a goal, make a plan, and begin developing and increasing your ability in those areas. Decide to be the very best at what you do and it could change your life. Chapter 12. Leverage Your Special Talents Harvard professor Dean Briggs once wrote, Do your work. Not just your work and no more, but a little bit more for the lavishing sake. That little bit more that is worth all the rest. You are remarkable. You have special talents and abilities that make you different from every other person who has ever lived. There are frogs you can eat or learn to eat that can make you one of the most important people in your business or organization. There are certain things that you can do or that you can learn to do that can make you extraordinarily valuable to yourself and others. Your job is to identify your special areas of uniqueness and then to commit yourself to becoming very, very good in those areas. Your most valuable asset in terms of cash flow is your earning ability. This is your ability to work and it enables you to bring tens of thousands of dollars into your life every year by simply applying your knowledge and skills to your world. This is your ability to eat specific frogs faster and better than others. You could lose everything you own, your house, your car, your job, your bank account, but as long as you still had your earning ability, you could make it all back and more besides. Take stock of your unique talents and abilities on a regular basis. What is it that you do especially well? What are you good at? What do you do easily and well that is difficult for other people? Looking back at your career, what has been the most responsible for your success in life and work to date? What have been the most significant frogs that you have eaten in the past? You see, you are designed in such a way that you will most enjoy doing the very things that you have the ability to be the very best at. What is it that you enjoy the most about your work? What kind of frogs do you enjoy eating the most? The very fact that you enjoy something means that you probably have within yourself 
the capability to be excellent in that area. One of your great responsibilities in life is for you to decide for yourself what it is that you really love to do and then to throw your whole heart into doing that special thing very, very well. Look at your various tasks and responsibilities. What is it that you do that gets you the most compliments and praise from other people? What do you do that positively affects the work and performance of other people more than anything else? Successful people are invariably those who have taken the time to identify what they do well and most enjoy. They know what they do that really makes a difference in their work, and they concentrate on that task or area of activity exclusively. You should always focus your best energies and abilities on starting and completing those key tasks where your unique talents and abilities enable you to do it well and make a significant contribution. You cannot do everything, but you can do those few things in which you excel, the few things that can really make a difference. Now, here are two exercises for you. First, continually ask yourself these key questions. What am I really good at? What do I enjoy the most about my work? What has been most responsible for my success in the past? If I could do any job at all, what job would it be? If you won the lottery or came into an enormous amount of money and you could choose any job or any part of a job to do for the indefinite future, what work would you choose? Second, develop a personal plan to prepare yourself to do your most important tasks in an excellent fashion. Focus on those areas where you have special talents and which you most enjoy doing. This is the key to unlocking your personal potential. Chapter 13. Identify your key constraints. Alexander Graham Bell once said, Concentrate all your thoughts on the task at hand. The sun's rays do not burn until brought into a focus. Between where you are today and any goal or objective that you want to accomplish, there is usually one major constraint that must be overcome before you can achieve that major goal. Your job is to identify it clearly. Ask yourself these questions. What is holding you back? What sets the speed at which you achieve your goals? What determines how fast you move from where you are to where you want to go? What stops you or holds you back from eating the frogs that can really make a difference? Why aren't you at your goal already? These are some of the most important questions you will ever ask and answer in achieving high levels of personal productivity and effectiveness. Whatever you have to do, there is always a limiting factor that determines how quickly and well you get it done. Your job is to study the task and identify the limiting factor or constraint within it. You must then focus all of your energies on alleviating that single choke point. In virtually every task, large or small, there is a single factor that sets the speed at which you achieve the goal or complete the job. What is it? Concentrate your mental energies on that one key area. This can be the most productive use of your time and talents. Now, this constraint may be a person whose help or decision you need, a resource that you require, a 
weakness in some part of the organization or something else. But the limiting factor is always there and it is always your job to find it. For example, the purpose of a business is to create and keep a customer. By doing this in sufficient quantities, the company makes a profit and continues to grow and flourish. In business, there is a limiting factor or choke point that determines how quickly and well the company achieves this purpose. It may be the marketing, the level of sales, or the sales force itself. It may be the costs of operation or the methods of production. It may be the level of cash flow or costs. The success of the company may be determined by the competition, the customers, or the current marketplace. One of these factors, more than anything else, determines how quickly the company achieves its goals of growth and profitability. What is it for your business? The accurate identification of the limiting factor in any process and the focus on that factor can usually bring about more progress in a shorter period of time than any other single activity. Now, the 80-20 rule also applies to the constraints in your life and in your work. What this means is that 80% of the constraints, the factors that are holding you back from achieving your goals, are internal. They are within yourself, within your own personal abilities, qualities, habits, disciplines, or competencies. Or they are contained within your own company or organization. Only 20% of the limiting factors are external to you or to your organization. Only 20% are on the outside in the form of competition, markets, governments, or other organizations. Your key constraint can be something small and not particularly obvious. Sometimes it requires that you make a list of every step in the process and examine every activity to determine exactly what it is that is holding you back. Sometimes it can be a single negative perception or objection on the part of customers that is slowing down the whole sales process. Sometimes it is the absence of a single feature that is holding back the growth of sales of a product or service line. Look into your company honestly. Look within your boss, your co-workers, and members of your staff to see if there is a key weakness that is holding you or your company back, which is acting as a break on the achievement of your key goals. In your own life, you must have the honesty to look deeply into yourself for the limiting factor or limiting skill that sets the speed at which you achieve your own personal goals. Successful people always begin the analysis of constraints by asking the question, what is it in me that is holding me back? They accept complete responsibility for their lives and look to themselves for both the cause and cure of their problems. Keep asking, what sets the speed at which I get the results I want? The definition of the constraint determines the strategy that you use to alleviate it. The failure to identify the correct constraint or the identification of the wrong constraint can lead you off in the wrong direction you can end up solving the wrong problem. A major corporation, a client of mine, was experiencing declining sales. They concluded that the major constraint was the sales force and sales management. They spent an enormous amount of money reorganizing the management and retraining the salespeople. They later found out that the primary reason that their sales were down was a mistake made by an accountant 
that had accidentally priced their products too high relative to their competition in the marketplace. Once they revamped their pricing, their sales went back up and they returned to profitability. Behind every constraint or choke point, once it is located and alleviated successfully, you will find another constraint or limiting factor. Whether it is getting to work on time in the morning or building a successful career, there are always limiting factors and bottlenecks that set the speed of your progress. Your job is to find them and then to focus your energies on alleviating them as quickly as possible. Often, starting off your day with the removal of a key bottleneck or constraint fills you full of energy and personal power. It propels you into following through and completing the job. And there is always something. Often, alleviating a key constraint or limiting factor is the most important frog you could eat at that moment. Now, here's two exercises for you. First, identify your most important goal in life today. What is it? What one goal, if you achieved it, would have the greatest positive effect on your life? What one career accomplishment would have the greatest positive impact in your work life? Second, determine the one constraint, internal or external, that sets the speed at which you accomplish this goal. Ask, why don't I have it already? What is it in me that is holding me back? Whatever your answers, take action immediately. Do something, do anything, but get started. Chapter 14. Put the Pressure on Yourself Thomas Edison once said, The first requisite for success is to apply your physical and mental energies to one problem incessantly without growing weary. The world is full of people who are waiting for someone to come along and motivate them to be the kind of people they wish they could be. The problem is that no one is coming to the rescue. These people are waiting for a bus on a street where no buses pass. As a result, if they don't take charge of their lives and put the pressure on themselves, they can end up waiting forever. And that is what most people do. Only about 2% of people can work entirely without supervision. We call these people leaders. This is the kind of person you are meant to be and which you may be if you decide to. To reach your full potential, you must form the habit of putting the pressure on yourself and not waiting for someone else to come along and do it for you. You must choose your own frogs and then make yourself eat them in their order of importance. See yourself as a role model for others. Raise the bar on yourself. The standards you set for your own work and behavior should be higher than anyone else could set for you. Make it a game with yourself to start a little earlier, work a little harder, and stay a little later. Always look for ways to go the extra mile, to do more than you're paid for. Your self-esteem, the core of your personality, has been defined by psychologist Nathaniel Brandon as your reputation with yourself. You build up or pull down your reputation with yourself with everything you do or fail to do. The good news is that you feel better about yourself whenever you push yourself to do your very best. You increase your own self-esteem whenever you go beyond where the average person would normally quit. 
One of the best ways for you to overcome procrastination is by working as though you only had one day to get your most important jobs done before you left for a month or went on vacation. Imagine each day that you have just received an emergency message and that you will have to leave town tomorrow for a month. If you had to leave town for a month, what would you absolutely make sure that you got done before you left? Whatever your answer, go to work on that task right now. Another way to put pressure on yourself is to imagine that you just received an all-expenses-paid one-week vacation in a beautiful resort as a prize, but you will have to leave tomorrow morning on the vacation or it will be given to someone else. What would you be determined to get finished before you left so that you could take that vacation? Whatever it is, start on that one job immediately. Successful people continually put the pressure on themselves to perform at high levels. Unsuccessful people have to be instructed and supervised and pressured by others. By putting the pressure on yourself, you accomplish more and better tasks faster than ever before. You become a high-performance, high-achieving personality. You feel terrific about yourself, and bit by bit, you build up the habit of rapid task completion that then goes on to serve you all the days of your life. Now, here are two exercises for you. Number one, set deadlines and sub-deadlines on every task and activity. Create your own forcing system. Raise the bar on yourself and don't let yourself off the hook. Once you've set yourself a deadline, stick to it and even try to beat it. Second, write out every step of a major job or project before you begin. Determine how many minutes and hours you will require to complete each phase. Then, race against your own clock. Beat your own deadlines. Make it a game and resolve to win. Chapter 15. Maximize Your Personal Powers John Haggai once wrote, Gather in your resources, rally all your faculties, marshal all your energies, focus all your capacities upon mastery of at least one field of endeavor. The raw material of personal performance and productivity is contained in your physical, mental, and emotional energies. When you are fully rested, you can get two times, three times, and five times as much done as when you are tired or burned out. Your body is like a machine that uses food, water, and rest to generate energy that you then use to accomplish important tasks in your life and work. One of the most important requirements for being happy and productive is for you to guard and nurture your energy levels at all times. The fact is that your productivity begins to decline after eight or nine hours of work. For this reason, working long hours into the night, although it is sometimes necessary, means that you are usually producing less and less in more and more time. The more tired you become, the worse will be the quality of your work and the more mistakes you will make. At a certain point, like a battery that is run down, you can reach the wall and simply be unable to continue. There are specific times during the day when you are at your best. You need to identify these times and discipline yourself to use them on your most important and challenging tasks. Most people are at their best in the mornings, after a good night's sleep. Some people are better in the afternoons. A few people are most creative and productive in the evenings or late at night. 
A major reason for procrastination is fatigue or attempting to start on a task when you're tired out. You have no energy or enthusiasm. Like a cold engine in the morning, you can't seem to get yourself started. Whenever you feel overtired and overwhelmed with too much to do and too little time, stop yourself and just say, all I can do is all I can do. Sometimes the very best use of your time is to go home early and go to bed and sleep for 10 hours straight. This can completely recharge you and enable you to get two or three times as much done the following day and of a far higher quality than if you had continued working long into the night. According to many researchers, the average American is not getting enough sleep relative to the amount of work he or she is doing. Millions of Americans are working in a state of mental fog as a result of working too much and sleeping too little. One of the smartest things you can do is to turn off the television and get to bed by 10 o'clock each night during the week. Sometimes one extra hour of sleep per night can change your entire life. Here's a rule for you. Take at least one full day off every week. During this day, either Saturday or Sunday, you must absolutely refuse to read, clear correspondence, catch up on things from the office, or do anything else that taxes your brain. Instead, you go to a movie, exercise, spend time with your family, go for a walk, or any activity that allows your brain to completely recharge itself like a battery. It is true that a change is as good as a rest. Take regular vacations each year, both long weekends and one- and two-week breaks, to rest and rejuvenate. You are always the most productive after a restful weekend or a vacation. Going to bed early five nights a week, sleeping in on the weekends, and taking one full day off each week will ensure that you have far more energy. This added energy will enable you to overcome procrastination and get started on your major tasks faster and with greater resolve than you ever could if you were tired out. In addition to lots of rest and to keep your energy levels at their highest, be careful about what you eat. Start the day with a high-protein, low-fat, low-carbohydrate breakfast. Eat salads with fish or chicken at lunch. Avoid sugar, salt, white flour products or desserts. Avoid soft drinks and candy bars or pastries. Feed yourself as you would feed a world-class athlete before a competition, because in many respects, that's what you are before starting work each day. Aim to exercise at about 200 minutes each week, the agreed-upon standard for excellent levels of fitness. This is equal to 30 minutes per day and can be achieved by going for a walk before or after work or walking short stretches during the day. You can swim, use exercise equipment, or play different sports, but build exercise into your daily routine just as if it was a business appointment. By eating lean and healthy, exercising regularly, and getting lots of rest, you'll get more and better work done easier and with greater satisfaction than ever before. The better you feel when you start work, the less you procrastinate, and the more eager you are to get the job done and get on with other tasks. High energy levels are indispensable to higher levels of productivity, more happiness, and greater success in everything you do. Now here are a couple of exercises that you can do to put this into action. Number one, analyze your current energy levels and compare them with your daily health habits. 
Resolve today to improve your levels of health and energy by asking the following questions. 1. What am I doing physically that I should do more of? 2. What am I doing that I should do less of? 3. What am I not doing that I should start doing if I want to perform at my best? And 4. What am I doing today that affects my health that I should stop doing altogether? And second, select one activity or behavior that you can change immediately to improve your overall levels of health and energy. Practice that one action over and over until it becomes a habit. Then, select a second way to improve and begin on that. Whatever your answers are to these questions, take action today. Chapter 16. Motivate Yourself into Action Antoine de Saint-Supery once wrote, It is in the compelling zest of high adventure and of victory and of creative action that man finds his supreme joys. To perform at your best, you must become your own personal cheerleader. You must develop a routine of coaching yourself and encouraging yourself to play at the top of your game. Fully 95% of your emotions, positive or negative, are determined by how you talk to yourself on a minute-to-minute -minute basis. It is not what happens to you, but the way that you interpret the things that are happening to you that determines how you feel. It is your version of events that largely determines whether they motivate or demotivate you, whether they energize or de-energize you. To keep yourself motivated, you must resolve to become a complete optimist. You must determine to respond positively to the words, actions, and reactions of the people and situations around you. You must refuse to let the unavoidable difficulties and setbacks of daily life affect your mood or emotions. Your level of self-esteem, how much you like and respect yourself, is central to your levels of motivation and persistence. You should talk to yourself positively all the time to boost your self-esteem. Say things like, I like myself, I like myself, over and over until you begin to believe it and behave like a person with a high-performance personality. To keep yourself motivated and to overcome feelings of doubt or fear, continually tell yourself, I can do it, I can do it. When people ask you how you are, always tell them, I feel terrific. No matter how you really feel at the moment or what is happening in your life, Resolve to remain cheerful and upbeat. As Viktor Frankl wrote in his best-selling book, Logotherapy, the last great freedom of mankind is the freedom to choose your attitude under any set of external conditions. Refuse to complain about your problems. Keep them to yourself. As speaker-humorist Ed Foreman says, you should never share your problems with others because 80% of people don't care about them anyway and the other 20% are kind of glad that you've got them in the first place. In Martin Seligman's 22-year study at the University of Pennsylvania, summarized in his book Learned Optimism, he determined that optimism is the most important quality you can develop for personal and professional success and happiness. Optimistic people seem to be more effective in almost every area of life. It turns out that optimists have three special behaviors or qualities all learned. Uh, through practice and repetition. First, optimists look for the good in every situation. No matter what goes wrong, they 
always look for something good or beneficial, and not surprisingly, they always seem to find it. Second, optimists always seek the valuable lesson in every setback or difficulty. They believe that difficulties come not to obstruct, but to instruct. They believe that each setback or obstacle contains a valuable lesson that they can learn and grow from, and they are determined to find it. Third, optimists always look for the solution to every problem. Instead of blaming or complaining when things go wrong, they become action-oriented. They ask questions like, what's the solution? What can we do now? What's the next step? Optimists think uh, and talk continually about their goals. They think about what they want and how to get it most of the time. They think and talk about the future and where they are going rather than the past and where they came from. They are always looking forward rather than backward. When you continually visualize your goals and ideals and talk to yourself in a positive way, you feel more focused and energized. You feel more confident and creative. You experience a greater sense of control and personal power. And the more positive and motivated you feel, the more eager you are to get started and the more determined you are to keep going. So here's two exercises for you. First, control your thoughts. Remember, you become what you think about most of the time. Be sure that you are thinking and talking about the things you want rather than the things you don't want. Second, keep your mind positive by accepting complete responsibility for yourself and for everything that happens to you. Refuse to criticize, complain, or blame others for anything. Resolve to make progress rather than excuses. Keep your thoughts and your energy focused forward on the things you can do right now to improve your life and let the rest go. Chapter 17. Get Out of the Technological Time Sinks As Gandhi said, there's more to life than just increasing its speed. Technology can be your best friend or your worst enemy. As we race into the 21st century, bombarded by information from all sides, many people seem to have an irresistible, if not obsessive, need to communicate continually and nonstop with people everywhere in their personal and business lives. This incessant, nonstop compulsion to communicate, entailing the continuous use of cell phones, Blackberries, personal digital assistance, internet, both wireless and connected, and various contact management systems like Microsoft Outlook, Maximizer, and others, tends to leave a person psychologically breathless. He or she has no time to stop, smell the roses, and collect his or her thoughts. At the same time, there are many high powered, hard working, highly productive people functioning in the dead center of communications technology who are not overwhelmed by technology. They seem to have their lives largely under control. Bill Gross, for example, manager of more than $600 billion in fixed income funds and bonds, is famous for exercising regularly and meditating daily to keep centered while using no technology at all. He turns off his cell phone, cuts off his live phone, leaves his BlackBerry in his office, and goes about his daily business without the continuous interruptions of people who have an overwhelming need to stay connected. And he says that he never misses an important message. For you to stay calm, clear-headed, 
and capable of performing at your best, you need to detach on a regular basis from the technology and communication devices that can overwhelm you if you're not careful. In Washington not long ago, I was at a business luncheon with a room full of high-level executives. Prior to the beginning of the luncheon, one of the organizers stood up and gave a short grace. Everyone bowed their head. When the grace was over, the luncheon began. However, at my table, four or five of the eight people seemed to have been greatly affected by the prayer that had just preceded the luncheon. They still had their heads down with their hands in their laps, even when they served the food. Each of them seemed to be lost in deep thought over the profound questions of the day. Then I realized that they were not praying at all. Each of them was intensely focused on their blackberries, sending and receiving email, working their little keyboards like frantic teenagers playing a video game. They were all lost to the world around them as they messaged back and forth, some of them with other people in the same room. They had fallen into a technological trap, a deep sink full of information exchange in which they were drowning. Now, the purpose of modern technology is largely to increase the speed, efficiency, and accuracy of the transfer of information of all kinds. Technology is meant to help us to improve the quality of our lives by enabling us to accomplish our key tasks and to communicate with the key people in our world faster and more efficiently than ever before. But the use of communications technology can quickly become a form of addiction. People get up in the morning and immediately check to see if there are any phone calls or voicemail messages on their cell phones. They then race to their computers to pull up their email to see if anyone communicated with them overnight. They call the office to find out if anyone has done or said anything that they should know about in the last few hours. They check their Microsoft Outlook, their personal digital assistants, their Blackberries, and whatever other forms of communications technology they are using every five or six minutes to make sure that they're not missing anything. This has to stop before it gets out of control. One of my clients, with distributors in 19 states, found himself bound and chained to his computer, receiving and responding to emails several hours each day. The more time he spent at his computer, the fewer of his other important tasks he was able to get done. The stress of these tasks building up like an avalanche overhang started to affect his personality, his health, and his sleeping habits. By using the principles taught in Eat That Frog, we taught him about the 80-20 rule and how it applies to emails. Fully 80% of the emails that you receive are of no value and should not even be opened. They should be deleted immediately. Of the remaining 20%, only 20% of those, or 4% of your emails, actually require an immediate response of some kind. The other 16% can be ignored temporarily or transferred to an action folder where they can be dealt with one at a time. My client felt that there was no one who had the ability to sort out his emails, which were more than 300 per day, and that he had to do it all himself, no matter how much time it took. We encouraged him to sit down with his secretary and go through his emails showing her which ones were important, which ones were unimportant, and how to deal with the most common requests and questions. To his surprise, within two hours, his secretary knew enough to handle most of his emails for him. From then on, she would come in each morning and delete the 80% of emails that were of no value. She would transfer the essential emails requesting personal action by her boss into a separate folder. If there was a question on an email, she would transfer it to a process folder for him to look at at his convenience. 
At our next meeting, he told me that he had tracked the time savings of this simple exercise and calculated that he was now saving 23 hours per week of work that he could then spend eating his frogs and getting his most important task completed. This simple exercise transformed his life, reduced his stress levels, improved his health and energy, and made him a much more relaxed and positive person. So here's a question for you. How would your life change if you had an extra 23 hours each week with which to think, work, plan, talk with key co-workers, or even go for a walk with your spouse? Imagine 23 extra hours in a week. A journalist for Fortune magazine wrote recently that when he arrived back at his office after a two-week vacation, there were more than 700 emails waiting for him. He realized it would take him a week to get through them all, during which time he wouldn't be able to tackle any of the projects waiting on his desk. For the first time in his email career, he took a deep breath and punched the delete all button, erasing those 700 emails forever. He then turned and got busy with the projects that were really important to him and his company. Now, his explanation was simple. He said, I realize that just because somebody sends me an email does not mean that they own a piece of my life in terms of my having to reply to them now or ever. In addition, it occurred to me that if the email was really important, the sender would send it again. And that's exactly what happened. For you to be able to concentrate on those few things that make most of the difference in your business and personal life, you must discipline yourself to use technology as a servant, not a master. Technology is there to help you, not to hinder you. The purpose of technology is to make your life smoother and easier, not to create complexity, confusion, and stress. One of the best rules in dealing with time, people, and technology is to just leave things off. Resist the urge to start turning on communication devices as soon as you wake up in the morning. Leave the radio off. Leave the television off. Leave your cell phone off. Leave your computer off until you've planned and organized your day. Deliberately create zones of silence in your life where no one and nothing can break through and reach you. Maintain your inner calm by forcing yourself to stop on a regular basis and listen to the silence. Sometimes, to get more done of higher value, you have to stop doing things of lower value. So keep asking yourself, what's important here? What is important for you to accomplish at work? What is important in your personal life? Of all the things that you could do, if you could only do one or two of them, which ones would they be? Remember, when you go away for a day, a week, or a month, on vacation or on business, if you're out of touch with your communication devices, nothing happens. The world seems to continue revolving whether or not you are in continuous contact with it. Problems get solved, answers get found, the work gets done, and life continues to flow along like old man river. There are very few things that are so important that they cannot wait. People often ask me at my seminars, but don't you have to keep current with the news by reading newspapers, listening to radio, watching television? I say, no, if it's really important, someone will tell you. If something really important happens in your life, the country or the world, someone else can spend hours following the news for you, and they will usually tell you on the first possible occasion. 
Many people discontinued newspapers, stopped watching broadcast news on television, and refused to listen to the radio. And surprisingly enough, they remain well-informed on most important subjects. Someone always keeps them up to date. You should do the same. Now, here are two exercises for you to make technology your friend, not your enemy. Number one, resolve today to create zones of silence during your day-to-day activities. Turn off all communications devices and technology for one hour in the morning and one hour in the afternoon. You will be amazed at what happens. Nothing. Second, resolve to take one full day off each week during which you do not touch your computer, check your BlackBerry, or make any attempt to keep in touch with the world of technology. At the end of a day without continuous contact, except by voice, your mind will go calm and clear like water. By giving your mental batteries time to recharge, free from the incessant interruptions of communication, you'll be more relaxed, aware, and alert. Chapter 18. Slice and Dice the Task Orison Sweat Marden said, The beginning of a habit is like an invisible thread, but every time we repeat the act, we strengthen the strand, add to it another filament until it becomes a great cable and binds us irrevocably in thought and act. A major reason for procrastinating on big, important tasks is that they appear so large and formidable when you first approach them. One technique that you can use to cut a big task down to size is the salami slice method of getting work done. With this method, you lay out the task in detail and then resolve to do just one slice of the job for the time being, like eating a roll of salami one slice at a time, or (laughs) like eating an elephant one bite at a time. Psychologically, you'll find it easier to do a single small piece of a large project than to start on the whole job. Often, once you have started and completed a single part of the job, you will feel like doing just one more slice. Soon you will find yourself working through the job one part at a time, and before you know it, the job will be completed. An important point to remember is that you have deep within you an urge to completion, or what is often referred to as a compulsion to closure. This means that you actually feel happier and more powerful when you start and complete a task of any kind. You satisfy a deep subconscious need to bring finality to a job or project. This sense of completion or closure motivates you to start into the next task or project and then to persist toward final completion. This act of completion triggers that release of endorphins in your brain that we talked about earlier. And the bigger the task you start and complete, the better and more elated you feel. The bigger the frog you eat, the greater the surge of personal power and energy you'll experience. When you start and finish a small piece of a task, you feel motivated to start and finish another part, and then another, and so on. Each small step forward energizes you. You soon develop an inner drive that motivates you to carry through to completion. This completion gives you the great feeling of happiness and satisfaction that accompanies any success. Another technique you can use to get yourself going is called the Swiss cheese method of working. You use this technique to get yourself into gear by resolving to punch a hole into the task like a hole in a block of Swiss cheese. 
you Swiss cheese a task when you resolve to work for a specific time period on a task. This may be as little as five or ten minutes, after which you will stop and do something else. You will just take one bite of your frog and then rest or change your focus of attention. The power of this method is similar to the salami slice method. Once you start working, you develop a sense of forward momentum and a feeling of accomplishment. You become energized and enthusiastic. You feel yourself internally motivated and propelled to keep going until the task is complete. You should try the salami slice or the Swiss cheese method on any task that seems overwhelming when you approach it for the first time. You will be amazed at how helpful these techniques are in overcoming procrastination. I have several friends who have become best-selling authors by simply resolving to write one page or even one paragraph per day until the book was completed. And you can do the same. Now here's a couple of ways to put these ideas into action. First, put one of these techniques into action immediately. Take a large, complex, multitask job that you've been putting off and either salami slice or Swiss cheese it to get started. Second, become action-oriented. A common quality of high-performance men and women is that when they hear a good idea, they take action on it immediately. As a result, they learn more, faster, and get much better results. Don't delay. Try it today. Chapter 19. Create Large Chunks of Time Nito Cobain said, Nothing can add more power to your life than concentrating all of your energies on a limited set of targets. This strategy requires a commitment from you to work at scheduled times on large tasks. Most of the really important work you do requires large chunks of unbroken time to complete. Your ability to create and carve out these blocks of high-value, highly productive time is central to your ability to make a significant contribution to your work and to your life. Successful salespeople set aside a specific time each day to phone prospects. Rather than procrastinating or delaying on a task that they don't particularly like, they resolve that they will phone for one solid hour between 10 and 11 a.m. They then discipline themselves to follow through on their resolutions. Many business executives set aside a specific time each day to call customers directly to get feedback or to return phone calls or to answer correspondence. Some people allocate specific 30 to 60 minute time periods each day for exercise. Many people read in the great books 15 minutes each night before retiring. In this way, over time, they eventually read dozens of the best books ever written. The key to the success of this method of working in specific time segments is for you to plan your day in advance and specifically schedule a fixed time period for a particular activity or task. You make appointments with yourself and then discipline yourself to keep them. You set aside 30, 60, and 90-minute time segments that you use to work on and complete important tasks. Many highly productive people schedule specific activities in pre-planned time slots all day long. These people build their work lives around accomplishing key tasks one at a time. As a result, they become more and more productive and eventually produce two times, three times, and five times as much as the average person. A time planner, broken down by day, hour, and minute, organized in advance, can be one of the most powerful personal productivity tools of all. 
it enables you to see where you can consolidate and create blocks of time for concentrated work. During this working time, you turn off the telephone, eliminate all distractions, and work non-stop. One of the best work habits of all is for you to get up early and work at home in the morning for several hours. You can get three times as much work done at home without interruptions as you ever could in a busy office where you are surrounded by people and bombarded by phone calls. When you fly on business, you can create your office in the air by planning your work thoroughly before you depart. When the plane takes off, you can work non-stop for the entire flight. You will be amazed at how much work you can go through when you work steadily in an airplane without interruptions. One of the keys to high levels of performance and productivity is for you to make every minute count. Use travel and transition time, what is often called gifts of time, to complete small chunks of larger tasks. Remember, the pyramids were built one block at a time. A great life and a great career is built one task and often one part of a task at a time. Your job in time management is to deliberately and creatively organize the concentrated time periods you need to get your key jobs done well and on schedule. Now, here's two ideas for applying this concept. First, think continually of different ways that you can save, schedule, and consolidate large chunks of time. Use this time to work on important tasks with the most significant long-term consequences. Second, make every minute count. Work steadily and continuously without diversion or distraction by planning and preparing your work in advance. Most of all, keep focused on the most important results for which you are responsible. Chapter 20. Develop a Sense of Urgency Napoleon Hill once wrote, Do not wait. The time will never be just right. Start where you stand and work with whatever tools you may have at your command, and better tools will be found as you go along. Perhaps the most outwardly identifiable quality of a high-performing man or woman is action orientation. They are in a hurry to get their key tasks completed. Highly productive people take the time to think, plan, and set priorities. They then launch quickly and strongly toward their goals and objectives. They work steadily, smoothly, and continuously. As a result, they seem to power through enormous amounts of work in the same amount of time that the average person spends socializing, wasting time, and working on low-value activities. When you work on your most important tasks at a high and continuous level of activity, you can actually enter into an amazing mental state called flow. Almost everyone has experienced this state at some time. Really successful people are those who get themselves into this state far more often than the average. In the state of flow, which is the highest human state of performance and productivity, something almost miraculous happens to your mind and emotions. You feel elated and clear. Everything you do seems effortless and accurate. You feel happy and energized. You experience a tremendous sense of calm and increased personal effectiveness. In the state of flow, identified and talked about over the centuries, you actually function on a higher plane of clarity, creativity, and competence. You are more sensitive and aware. Your insight and intuition functions with incredible precision. You see the interconnectedness of people and circumstances around you. 
you often come up with brilliant ideas and insights that enable you to move ahead even more rapidly. One of the ways you can trigger this state of flow is by developing a sense of urgency. This is an inner drive and desire to get on with the job quickly and get it done fast. This inner drive is an impatience that motivates you to get going and to keep going. A sense of urgency feels very much like racing against yourself. With this ingrained sense of urgency, you develop a bias for action. You take action rather than talking continually about what you're going to do. You focus on specific steps you can take immediately. You concentrate on the things you can do right now to get the results you want and achieve the goals you desire. Fast tempo seems to go hand in hand with all great success. Developing this tempo requires that you start moving and keep moving at a steady rate. The faster you move, the more impelled you feel to do even more, even faster. You enter the zone. When you regularly take continuous action toward your most important goals, you activate the momentum principle of success. This principle says that although it may take tremendous amounts of energy to overcome inertia and get started initially, it then takes far less energy to keep going. The good news is that the faster you move, the more energy you have. The faster you move, the more you get done and the more effective you feel. The faster you move, the more experience you get and the more you learn. The faster you move, the more competent and capable you become at your work. A sense of urgency shifts you automatically onto the fast track in your career. The faster you work and the more you get done, the higher will be your levels of self-esteem, self-respect, and personal pride. You begin to feel in complete control of your life and your work. One of the simplest and yet most powerful ways to get yourself started is to repeat the words, Do it now. Do it now. Do it now, over and over to yourself. If you feel yourself slowing down or becoming distracted by conversations or low-value activities, repeat to yourself the words, back to work, back to work, back to work, over and over. In the final analysis, nothing will help you more in your career than for you to get the reputation for being the kind of person who gets important work done quickly and well. This reputation will make you one of the most valuable and respected people in your field. Now, here's two ways to put these ideas into action. First, resolve today to develop a sense of urgency in everything you do. Select one area where you have a tendency to procrastinate and make a decision to develop the habit of fast action in that area. Second, when you see an opportunity or a problem, take action on it immediately. When you are given a task or responsibility, do it quickly and report back fast. Move rapidly in every important area of your life. You will be amazed at how much better you feel and how much more you get done. Chapter 21. Single-handle every task. James Allen once wrote, And herein lies the secret of true power. Learn by constant practice how to husband your resources and concentrate them at any given moment upon a given point. Eat that frog. Every bit of planning, prioritizing, and organizing comes down to this simple concept. Your ability to select your most important task, to begin it, and then to concentrate on it single-mindedly until it is complete, is the key to high levels of performance and personal productivity. 
Every great achievement of mankind has been preceded by a long period of a hard, concentrated work until the job was done. Single handling requires that once you begin, you keep working at the task without diversion or distraction until the job is 100% complete. You keep urging yourself onward by repeating the words back to work over and over whenever you're tempted to stop or do something else. By concentrating single-mindedly on your most important task, you can reduce the time required to complete it by 50% or more. It's been estimated that the tendency to start and stop a task, to pick it up, put it down, and come back to it, can increase the time necessary to complete the task by as much as 500%. Each time you return to the task, you have to familiarize yourself with where you were when you stopped and what you still have to do. You have to overcome inertia and get yourself going again. You have to develop momentum and get into a productive work rhythm. But... When you prepare thoroughly and then begin, refusing to stop or turn aside until the job is done, you develop energy, enthusiasm, and motivation. You get better and better and more productive. You work faster and more effectively. The truth is that once you've decided on your number one task, anything else that you do other than that is a relative waste of time. Any other activity is just not as valuable or as important as this job based on your own priorities. The more you discipline yourself to working non-stop on a single task, the more you move down the efficiency curve. You get more and more high-quality work done in less and less time. Each time you stop working, however, you break this cycle and move back up the curve to where every part of the task is more difficult and time-consuming. Albert Hubbard once defined self-discipline as the ability to make yourself do what you should do, when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not. In the final analysis, success in any area requires tons of discipline. Self-discipline, self-mastery, and self-control are the basic building blocks of character and high performance. Starting a high-priority task and persisting with that task until it's 100% complete is the true test of your character, your willpower, and your resolve. Persistence is actually self-discipline in action. The good news is that the more you discipline yourself to persist on a major task, the more you like and respect yourself, and the higher is your self-esteem. And the more you like and respect yourself, the easier it is for you to discipline yourself to persist even more. By focusing clearly on your most valuable task and concentrating single-mindedly until it's 100% complete, you actually shape and mold your own character. You become a superior person. You feel stronger, more competent, confident, happier. You feel more powerful and productive. You eventually feel capable of setting and achieving any goal. You become the master of your own destiny. You place yourself on an ascending spiral of personal effectiveness on which your future is absolutely guaranteed. And the key to all of this is for you to determine the most valuable and important thing you could possibly do at every single moment, and then eat that frog. So here are two ways to put these ideas into action. Number one, take action. Resolve today to select the most important task or project that you could complete, and then launch into it immediately. And number two, once you start your most important task, discipline yourself to persevere 
without diversion or distraction until it's 100% complete. See it as a test to determine whether you are the kind of person who can make a decision to complete something and then carry it out. Once you begin, refuse to stop until the job is finished. Now we've covered a lot of material in these 21 chapters, so let's put it all together in a summary. The key to happiness, satisfaction, great success, and a wonderful feeling of personal power and effectiveness is for you to develop the habit of eating your frog first thing every day when you start work. Fortunately, this is a learnable skill that you can acquire through repetition. And when you develop the habit of starting on your most important task before anything else, your success is assured. Here's a summary of the 21 great ways to stop procrastinating and get more things done faster. Review these rules and principles regularly until they become firmly ingrained in your thinking and actions and your future will be guaranteed. Number one, set the table. Decide exactly what you want. Clarity is essential. Write out your goals and objectives before you begin. Number two, plan every day in advance. Think on paper. Every minute you spend in planning can save you five or ten minutes in execution. Number three, apply the 80-20 rule to everything. Remember, 20% of your activities will account for 80% of your results. Always concentrate your efforts on that top 20%. Number four, consider the consequences. Your most important tasks and priorities are those that can have the most serious consequences, positive or negative, on your life or work. Focus on these above all. Number five, practice the ABCDE method continually. Before you begin work on a list of tasks, take a few moments to organize them by value and priority so that you can be sure of working on your most important activities. 6. Focus on key result areas. Identify and determine those results that you absolutely positively have to get to do your job well and work on them all day long. 7. Practice the law of forced efficiency which says there's never enough time to do everything, but there's always enough time to do the most important things. What are they? Number eight, prepare thoroughly before you begin. Remember, proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. Number nine, upgrade your skills. The more knowledgeable and skilled you become at your key tasks, the faster you start them and the sooner you get them done. Number 10, leverage your special talents. Determine exactly what it is that you are very good at doing or could be good at and throw your whole heart into doing those specific things very well. Number 11. Identify your key constraints. Determine the bottlenecks or choke points, internally or externally, that set the speed at which you achieve your most important goals and focus on alleviating them. Number 12. Take it one oil barrel at a time. You can accomplish the biggest and most complicated job if you just complete it one step at a time. Number 13. Put the pressure on yourself. Imagine that you have to leave town for a month and work as if you had to get all your major tasks completed before you left. Number 14. Maximize your personal powers. Identify your periods of highest mental and physical energy each day 
and structure your most important and demanding tasks around these times. Get lots of rest so that you can perform at your best. Number 15. Motivate yourself into action. Be your own cheerleader. Look for the good in every situation. Focus on the solution rather than the problem. Always be optimistic and constructive. Number 16. Practice creative procrastination. Since you can't do everything, you must learn to deliberately put off those tasks that are of low value so that you have enough time to do the few tasks that really count. Number 17. Do the most difficult task first. Begin each day with your most difficult task, the one task that can make the greatest contribution to yourself and your work, and resolve to stay at it until it's complete. Number 18. Slice and dice the task. Break large, complex tasks down into bite-sized pieces, and then do just one small part of the task to get started. Number 19. Create large chunks of time. Organize your days around large blocks of time where you can concentrate for extended periods on your most important tasks. Number 20. Develop a sense of urgency. Make a habit of moving fast on your key tasks. Become known as a person who does things quickly and well. And number 21. Single-handle every task. Set clear priorities. Start immediately on your most important task and then work without stopping until the job is 100% complete. This is the real key to high performance and maximum personal productivity. Make a decision to practice these principles every day until they become second nature to you. With these habits of personal management as a permanent part of your personality, your future success will be unlimited. Just do it. Eat that frog. Okay, hopefully you enjoyed uh, Eat That Frog and got a lot of good information out of it. I know uh, the first time I listened to that, um, it really sort of changed my perspective on, on how to plan my day and how to manage time and things like that. The the two or three things that really stick out to me, and, and like a lot of books, you'll, you'll go through a whole book and there, there may be just an idea or two that just sticks with you and... Um, you can use that uh, virtually the rest of your life. Okay, so that's it's the Pareto principle of, of book reading, and actually they talked about the eighty twenty rule in Eat That Frog, and it comes up time and time again. We mentioned it last podcast. It comes, it, it gets mentioned in virtually every business and personal development book. So obviously, I'm a big fan of the eighty twenty rule. But the other two sort of subtle things that were mentioned in Eat That Frog that I really, really enjoy and I really take to heart and it's made a huge difference in my life is prepare thoroughly before you begin. That's one of the the line items. Prepare thoroughly before you begin. And I think that the quote was um, from the book was regarding the six P's. P as in Paul. And they are proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. So basically, the more you you plan ahead and the more you think about what you need to get done, the better your chances of success are. And I think Abraham Lincoln had uh, a quote and he said, if you give me 24 hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend the first 23 hours sharpening the axe. 
or something like that is <laughs> the gist of it. But basically, you get the point. The more prepared you are uh, for something, the better your chances of success. So I, I know that can be taken to the extreme and you can uh, get what they call uh, analysis paralysis where you're so worried about how things could turn out that you, you fail to take action. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about being thoroughly prepared Um, knowing what you're going to do, and then actually going out and doing it. So how that looks in my personal life is, and I've mentioned it before, I always, always, always try and plan uh, the week ahead and then the day ahead, just like they mentioned in the book. Uh, Plan uh, your week ahead on, say, a Sunday, and then every day at a certain time, you plan uh, what's going to happen the next day. That one action um, it's, it's almost like a keystone habit, you know, from the power of habit. It, it just makes everything in your life easier. Um, you can foresee schedule conflicts before they come up. You can try and fix them. Uh, and if nothing else, you realize that uh, a certain day is going to be really, really busy and really, really hard. Um, and you can at least mentally prepare for that. If you, if you can't change things to, to sort of get out of that, to lessen the load, at least you see it coming and you're not surprised when it gets there uh, as opposed to just kind of being tossed to and fro in the heat of the moment. And the other tip from Eat That Frog that I love is create large chunks of time. Uh, man, that, that's huge. Uh, hopefully you guys are already seeing some of the benefits of that uh, in the Miracle Morning you know, you create a, a one or two hour chunk of time and just the things that you can get done in that amount of time are, are really big. And if you can create other chunks of time during the day, like uh, maybe use your lunch break to do some stuff or, um, you know, maybe after you put the kids to bed or, or you have a, a bedtime routine or or maybe a Saturday afternoon, if you can create a, 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 a large block of time, you're, you're able to, you know, do things that are, uh, a little hard to do uh, otherwise. Long-term projects, you know, major goals in your life, things like that. It's just nice to have a dedicated uh, time of the day or the week where you know you can just get a lot of stuff done. So uh, Pareto Principle, always plan ahead and create large chunks of time. Uh, you do a combination of those three things and man, um, uh, productivity skyrockets. So anyway, those are some of the things you need to to master. Um, And then once you master those, you can start to take advantage of some of these newer techniques like outsourcing and and using fancy hands and virtual assistants and Fiverr and and email hacks and all sorts of techniques. So um, there's a whole bunch of books on those uh, techniques that that I mentioned before, but I think one of the foremost experts is Ari Mizell. And this next clip I'm going to play is an inter- an interview that Ari Mizell has with uh, Rory Vaden, who's another guy we've mentioned several times on this uh, podcast. Uh, he's the guy that interviewed uh, Hal Elrod and the Miracle Morning. So um, anyway, I'm going to play this clip just so you can get a feel for uh, how you can take productivity to the next level. Uh, it's really just an introduction. And again, I've mentioned before, but if you... Uh, if you're kind of overwhelmed by your email inbox and the t- just the raw amount of time you spend in front of a computer just answering emails, 
uh, you really want to become a student of Ari Mizell, listen to his podcast and get his book, uh, less doing more living. Uh, it's, it's revolutionary in, in that regard. So, uh, check out this little clip. It's about 20 minutes or so, and hopefully you can get a, get a feel for what I call the new school of productivity. All right, here you go. So now I'm speaking with Rory Vaden, who is the co-founder of Southwestern Consulting and the number one New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs, as well as Procrastinate on Purpose. Uh, and just a fascinating guy, knows a lot about success and about how to achieve what you want. So Rory, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's start with a little bit of background here. So how did you get into this sort of line of work or this passion, I guess? You know, I I always have been infatuated with success. And part of my story is I, I was raised by a single mother who sold Mary Kay cosmetics. So yeah, she, yeah, she used to bring me to the meetings and I was running around and, and I learned about goals and time management, and all that stuff when I was seven years old. Um, it also means that I know more about makeup than I do about cars <laughs> and uh, fishing and stuff like that. But I kind of grew up around success and and you know, set some big goals in my early life. And then when I got to college, I worked, I got recruited for the summer program called Southwestern Advantage and got a chance to run my own business selling educational children's reference books door to door. And I, I knocked on doors 14 hours a day, six days a week for five summers and ended up making about $250,000 over the course of five summers from selling and then also recruiting students. And then left and decided to pursue my dream of being a, a speaker, joined Toastmasters, entered a contest called the World Championship of Public Speaking, and uh, made it all the way to the finals and lost, came in second in the world, or as Seinfeld would say, I was the number one loser. And then um, I didn't know there was a world championships of speaking. So that's pretty cool. I know a lot of people don't know it. It's actually a huge, like a big thing. And it's there's 25,000 contestants who enter and you go through nine months of all these varying levels. It's, you know, it's put on by Toastmasters. And and so I was 22, I think the first year I made it to the championship, which is the top 10. And I um and I lost there. And then the second year I went back, I, I lost again, but I lost higher. So I came in second. And I, I just, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just, this, is, this is amazing to me because so I, I just, while you're t- saying that, I, I wanted to Google it really quick. And this is a testament to either Google or something, but I wrote World C-H-A-M and it auto-completed and said World Champion of Public Speaking. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a popular, I mean, it's a... I've it's never a, even heard of it. I know, a lot of people, you know, I always tell people... Winning the world championship of public speaking, it's a lot like winning like the voice or something, except nobody cares is the only real difference. Um, but it was it's that level of intensive competition. And so I did that. And then uh, part of part of what happened there was that shortly after that, I, I met a man named Zig Ziglar and um, got to be mentored a little bit by Zig and a few other greats around NSA, the National Speakers Association, Chester and Mark Sanborn and people like that. And and um and then started Southwestern Consulting with a couple friends, and there were four of us in 2006. And now, you know, we do we do one on one sales coaching. So we coach salespeople for a, a living, and we now have 115 team members. We've got over 800 active clients, and we have um, consulting clients as well in 35 different countries. And so that business has grown quite a bit, and. I guess in 2012, we launched the Take the Stairs book. And then a few weeks ago, 
We launched the new book, Procrastinate on Purpose, Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time. And then I got booked for the Ari Mizell show. And man, <laughs> here we are. I, I, well, I love that. I mean, that's, a, that's a nice way to sum it up. Well, thank you. Uh, so first of all, I, I mean, congratulations on your entire journey. And it's amazing to me when people not only are able to achieve success, but also systematize it to some extent that they can share it with mm-hmm. other people to help them. You know, Because it's one thing if you, and not to discredit anybody, but if you get lucky or you win the lottery or you inherit a business or something like that, and that has its own challenges as well. But a lot of times you just sort of do what's been done before. And it's not the same necessarily as actually being able to share it so that other people can assimilate it. So I, I, the other thing that I like and is that your approach to this uh, from a productivity standpoint and from a procrastination standpoint is, it, it seems from what I've read, at least from the books and everything, that it's not so much about, oh, you need to figure out how to do it this way or you need to be better at this. It's really that there's things holding people back, mm. right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's 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 it has it's less about a change in process and more about a change in thinking. So, and before I let you go further, I I need to reiterate that for people because when I wrote my first book, or no, sorry, when I wrote the less doing book, that wasn't actually technically my first. My first book was about green building materials, but when I wrote that book. The, the some of the negative feedback that I got from people was like, oh, well, there's a bunch of apps or services in here that we have to use and that's what this is. And what I needed to make clear, I tried to make clear was that to be more productive, you, you don't need a whole bunch of new technology. As a matter of fact, in some cases, it can make it worse. So it's really about a fundamental mindset shift that needs to take place in terms of how you approach the things that you do. So. Well, yeah, and in, in our case, you know, we the opening sentence of the book is everything you know about time management is wrong, because what we did is we took some of the popular cliches and things you hear about, you know, you got to have a to do list, you got to schedule your week, work life balance, uh, you know, don't allow interruptions and things like this, and we went out and we profiled some of the world's ultra performers. A lot of them are people that we coach, they're these top one percenters, and and really started to understand and dissect. How do, the, how do the, the world's ultra performers view time? Not how do the world's experts think about time? How are the people who are in the top 1%? And we found that they think radically different. And so what we were trying to do is then kind of codify that. And there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's so many differences. But the, the primary difference that we're like a complete paradigm shift is uh, what we're calling the significance calculation. So if you look at the history of time management as sort of a body of, of work, it really developed in the 50s and 60s on the heels of manufacturing. And early time management thought was very one-dimensional. It was all based upon the strategy of efficiency. So how can I do things faster? And all things being equal, efficiency is better. But efficiency has a point of diminishing returns as a time management strategy, which is very well evidenced by the fact that we all carry around you know, miniature computers in our pocket and yet we're still never caught up. Like we're moving faster than ever before and we still are falling behind. Well, in the late 80s, era two time management thinking emerged and we kind of give tribute and credit to the late Dr. Covey because he gave us this chart where the y-axis was importance and the x-axis was urgency. And that was really cool because now we had a way to sort of score our tasks and determine which ones, you know, we should do like 
prioritizing is focusing first on what matters most. And you have these two criteria, importance and urgency that you kind of wait and, and, and then you prioritize your tasks. And really in the last 25 years, it, it, it's been one of those two strategies. People are either trying to manage their time by doing things more efficiently or they're just trying to prioritize their time. Well, managing your time is all about like when you when you use the efficiency paradigm, the whole idea is how can I do things faster or how can I do more things to like fit them in a day? And that just it, it's it's a linear you're only going to get linear uh, progress from that. Meanwhile, prioritizing your time we throw that around like it's the end-all, be-all to the time management strategy, this right. ultimate tr- trump card, right? But there's a, a massive limitation to prioritizing also that nobody ever talks about. And that's this, that there's nothing about prioritizing that creates more time. All prioritizing does is take item number seven on your to-do list and it bumps it up to number one. Now, that's a valuable skill. It's more valuable than ever before. But just because you're able to control your focus and focus on number seven first doesn't mean you're going to have more time. And so that kind of brings us to to the procrastinating on purpose or the POP methodology where of multiplying your time where basically, Ari, we noticed that a new type of thinker has emerged and we we're referring to them as a multiplier and they are now making a third dimension or a three dimensional calculation or era three time management as we call it, where it's not just based on importance or urgency, but significance. And we can, we can talk more about significance, but significance changes everything. Well, let's talk about that then. So what, why, why does significance change everything? Yeah. So well, let, let's let's just take like the, the modern day to-do list, okay? So that's like one of the most common tools we all have. And the way that we put our to-do list together is we say, what's the most important things that I have to do today? Um, and I, that just is... Just so you know, I'm adamantly against to-do lists. So just go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, um, and, and I'm not necessarily against them or for them. Um, it's not so much, again, the tool that I care about, but the thinking, yeah. you know, requiring the next, uh, achieving the next level of results in our lives requires the next level of thinking. And we can't solve yesterday's, like we can't solve today's time management problems with yesterday's time management strategies. So here's how significance works. What multipliers do is they don't ask themselves the question, what's the most important thing I can do today? They ask themselves the question, how can I use my time in a way today that creates more time tomorrow? So here's, here's a myth. People say you can't create more time. There's nothing you can do. We all have the same amount of time. Well, it is true inside of the construct of one day that we all have the same amount of time, 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, or 86,400 seconds. But that's exactly the problem is thinking about our tasks and our productivity in the paradigm of one day. So what multipliers do is they break free of that and they instead, they're not trying to cram more in today. They're saying, what are the things that I can do today that make tomorrow better and the next day and the next day? And that's the significance calculation. So if if importance is how much does something matter and urgency is how soon does something matter, then significance is how long is this going to matter? And so a multiplier has realized that success is no longer related to the volume of tasks that we complete, but the significance of them. And they might only get one thing done and they might 
purposely ignore everything else or, you know, procrastinate on purpose, as we say. They're purposely ignoring everything else so that they can focus on the significant things. And so in one sentence, the way that you multiply time is you multiply time by giving yourself the emotional permission to invest time into things today that create more time tomorrow. Okay. So what does that look like on a practical level? Like when somebody's looking at sure. the things that they have to do, you know, how do you sort of, what's the litmus test? Yeah. Well, that, that is the litmus test, but let's give you a couple of practical examples. Um, let's take like online bill pay as an example. Great. Okay. So you say, okay, you know, Ari, do you have an extra two hours in your day today that's wide open that you could set up online bill pay? And for most of us, the answer is no. Every second is booked. And if I had two hours open, I sure as heck would not do it on spend time doing setting up online bill pay. I would catch up on email. I would do whatever. I might go to the park. Like you, you might use your time in a million other ways than do that. Well, what a multiplier realizes though is if you make the significance calculation and you start thinking longer term, like it's never really that urgent to set up online bill pay. It's also never really that important. Like if you're writing checks and you're you're on top of your bills every month, it's like, okay, well, you know, I have a process now. It's fine. It's like I'm able to keep up with it and it's not really urgent. It's not like a, a life-threatening thing. Right. But when you make the significance calculation, you start to see the world differently. And you start to go, well, gee whiz, if setting up online bill pay saves me 30 minutes of paying my bills every month and it it takes me two hours to set it up, I don't really have two hours in my day-to-day. But if I give myself the permission to spend two hours or invest two hours setting up that time, then after four months, I will have broken even. And then every month thereafter, I will have gained something that we refer to in, in POP as ROTI return on time invested. And so at that point, every every you know, every month they're moving forward, you're multiplying time because your system is taking care of something that you would have otherwise been taken care of. And there's there's hundreds of examples of multiplying your time. Again, it's not that any one example really matters or is the magic trick. It's it's about changing the way that you think so that you can think the way that multipliers think. And and that's really what we did with the focus funnel. And the focus funnel was our attempt to create a visual depiction that actually codifies the thought process that multipliers go through when they're evaluating their tasks and which ones they, they should do and which ones they shouldn't do. That's very interesting. Now, now, but do you, do you apply that equally to like, because I get this question a lot, actually. It's like, okay, I have a list now. I'm going to look at these 14 things I got to get, or these 150 things I have to get done and figure out that. Okay, great. But then what about new incoming information? Like how, you know, how do you teach people how to process this stuff on the fly? Yeah. Well, that's, that's why we went with the focus funnel because we've, we found that having no system is no good, right? Like having no way to process stuff. It's, it, it doesn't really work that well, but some systems are, are so tedious and involved. It's like a full-time job to keep up with these incredibly complicated organized systems and flowcharts and processes and stuff. And it doesn't, that's fine and and it can work. It can take you to a certain level, but with the speed of business and the speed of which things change and the, the, the rapid input of new information, you need to have something that's pretty flexible. So, um, what the focus funnel is, is if you picture a funnel and at the top part in the, the wide entry point 
if all your tasks and to-dos and emails and messages to return and stuff are all coming in the top, then the, the very first question multipliers ask is, can I eliminate this? Is this even worth doing? And one of the, the key fascinating elements of this whole kind of study that we did with procrastinating on purpose and multiplying time is, this is an example of how, again, we say everything you know about time management is wrong. Almost everything you read about time management is tips and tricks, tools and technology, calendars and checklists and apps and organization processes. And yet what we started to realize, uh, mostly with just coaching people in their daily lives, you know, it's right in front of our face, is time management today isn't just logical. Time management is emotional. And our feelings of guilt and fear and worry and anxiety and our desire to feel successful and value and to feel included, those emotions ultimately dictate what, how we choose to spend our time as much as whatever's on our to-do list or in our calendar. So the five permissions is kind of the emotional element of this. And when you look at the very first strategy, the, the eliminate strategy, the top part of the funnel, the permission there is the permission to ignore. And we can we can dive into each of these deeper if you want to, but you have... You have eliminate, which is the permission to ignore. If you can't eliminate it, then it drops down to the middle of the funnel, and that's automate. Can this task be automated? That's the permission to invest, basically to invest time and energy to set up uh, and money to set up a process. Um, if you can't automate it, then the next question they say is, well, can I delegate it? Can this be done by somebody else? Um, that's kind of like training. And the emotional permission at play there is a perfectionism one. So it's the permission of imperfect. Um, if a task cannot be eliminated, automated, or delegated, then it falls out the bottom of the funnel. And at that point, you have a task that you know must be done and it must be done by you. So the only remaining question at that point is, um, well, th- sorry, it, yeah, it must be done by you. But the remaining question is, must this task be done now or can it wait until later? If the task must be done now, then it slides off to the left and we call that concentrate. It's the permission to protect. And that's the whole conversation about focus. And that's where the Take the Stairs book, that's where you know our first book really takes over. How to do the things you know you should do even when you don't feel like doing them and battling kind of classic procrastination. Um, but the, the, the newer part and the really dynamic part of this is if the answer to the question, can this wait till later, is yes then that is where multipliers are encouraging you and inviting you and challenging you not to eliminate, automate, or delegate, but to procrastinate on purpose. And and so we call that pop. Um, and you don't procrastinate on it forever. You pop that activity back to the top of the funnel, at which point it enters into this holding pattern where it sort of cycles through the focus funnel until ultimately one day, one of the other four strategies, eliminate, automate, delegate, or concentrate, will get executed on that. And so the funnel allows for this kind of perpetual reprioritizing because that's what happens. You don't, you know, it's not like there's a bad thing with planning out your week. That's fine. It's a good habit to be in. But you also have to realize that the speed at which many of our lives operate is we're reprioritizing not once a week, but like once every 10 minutes. And so you got to be able to, to, to have some of that on, on, on the fly. 
Sure. So I, to, to get a little specific, and, and by the way, that is completely in line with the teaching that I that I profess, I guess. But uh, I want to talk about automation for a second. What are some of your favorite ways to automate tasks out of your life? Literally typing out the words of the book on the page, it occurred to me that automation is to your time exactly what compounding interest is to your money. So, so just like compounding interest takes money and it turns it into more money, it, when you get a system built and it's, it's a system that is, you know, Ninja or something like Infusionsoft where you have it all mapped out and you work with someone to help you kind of put that thing in place. Uh, it takes time and energy up front, but then it takes time and it makes that time into more time. And you think of all the tasks in your business that you do over and over again or somebody does over and over again. Um, and that's the power of automation. And we're living in a, in a time, a day and age where there is, there's more tools available to us for automation. Uh, you know, there's things like QuickBooks and Sprout Social or Hootsuite or, you know, any of these, these things. Um, these are all tools that take time to set up. And most of us say, well, I don't have time to set that up. Well, you're stupid. <laughs> you're not thinking the right way. You're, you're, you're thinking in the short term. You're, and that's what exactly how our life operates. Absent the significance calculation, we inadvertently overweight the urgency calculation. And we start to, um, we start to convince ourselves that we're so busy and I don't have time and there's no time. And it's because we feel trapped by this constant 24-hour deadline. Well, meanwhile, multipliers break free of that and they live in that world of significance saying, what are the things that I can do today that create more time tomorrow? And who, who cares if I don't answer my email within 10 minutes of when it comes in? I'm working on things that are going to be able to automate you know, and scale my whole business. And so it's, it's not easy. It's simple. It's not easy. It's incredibly hard. And when I say you're stupid, I, I, I don't mean that you're, you're just like an idiot and you're lazy or that, but you're, you're absent some key information in terms of thinking the way that multipliers think. And when I say you, I'm talking about me. This is where I was. And, and it's been a painful process to have to learn all this. And, you know, one thing you said early on, Ari, is just we kind of have this, we have this like epidemic where we can't learn, learn something and then not teach it to other people. And so procrastinate on purpose is basically, you know, the results of everything of our findings of working with all these clients and growing our business and doing the research and analysis that we do, uh, both at Southwestern consulting and the center for the study of self-discipline and, and rolling it out to people because it's like, you don't want to go through the paint that we went through. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're just about out of time now, Rory. So I, the last question that I always like to ask on these interviews is, uh, and, and you can interpret this however you like, but what is your top, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? Hmm. Well, I, I truly, the number one thing I would say is, is give yourself permission to invest an hour with me um, if you go to procrastinateonpurpose.com, we put a free one-hour webinar together that explains this whole methodology. You can see the focus funnel. We walk you through it. Um, you know, there's other links there to get connected to me and stay in touch. But but watch it. Even if you have no desire to buy the book, go watch that webinar. And then, uh, so that would be the first thing. Um, the second thing is that I would immediately start asking yourself the question, uh, like perpetually. Is what I am doing right now something that only I could be doing? Like yeah. that, that <laughs> nobody else could be doing this. I am the only person 
that Amen. could be doing this. Um, and, and living like that is just, a, it's like a, it's like a program that's running in the background on your brain 24 hours a day. Um, because if you're not, if it's something that you're not the only person, then you can eliminate it, automate it, delegate it, uh, or procrastinate it on purpose until you figure out a way to do one of those other things. Um, and then just the final thing that I would, I would just leave with everybody is, uh, so I want to encourage you and, and also remind you that it doesn't matter who you are, how good you've been in the past or how bad you've been in the past. For all of us, success is never owned. Success is only rented and the rent is due every day. Okay, so that's a good way to end things here. Uh, plant that question in your head. And if you can ask it all the time, uh, you'll start to learn how to really, really be productive by using some of these new techniques and outsourcing. So that question is, am I the only person that could possibly do this task right now? Am I really only one that has the ability to do that? And you will be shocked how many times that you'll you'll figure out that what you are doing can easily be outsourced to a virtual assistant or a fancy hand assistant. So um, something to keep in mind, you know, some of these next level techniques I want you to consider and maybe you can implement those. Okay, so that wraps up the prerequisite episodes. I thought uh, episode 10 was going to be the last prerequisite, but we stretch productivity out into part two. So now episodes 1 through 11 are your prerequisite episodes. Uh, Starting in episode number 12, we're going to get into some really specialized topics, um, the first of which is going to be parenting. So I'm looking forward to that. And like I said, even if you don't have kids, I think you'll want to check it out. So take care, absorb some of this information from today's episode, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. We hope you found a few nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your life. Until next time, take action. Keep hacking and stacking your way to success. No soup for you.